I don't know what the next step is with something like this, but if I lower my gun, we didn't hurt you, so you don't hurt us. Right? That's right. That's a weird fucking tone, man. That's just the way he sounds. He has an asshole voice. Joe, tell him he's okay. Everything is great. Dude. Fuck. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Bros, breakdowns, reviews, and other shit. New listeners, if you're new, welcome. Uh, Return loyal listeners, welcome back. Thanks for coming back to chill out with us. I'll be your host. My name is Bobby. With me is my best friend, my brother. I don't care how great that man is. He will not get in the way of me and my brother. (laughs) Is that what he said? Well, they talk about how great this man is. But there's no man great enough, bro, that would keep me from keeping you healthy. Brandon, you want to say what's up? Uh, yeah, I, don't know. <laughs> I was saying in those, in those circumstances, I'd rather just die. No, no, no. <laughs> I wouldn't want to live in that world. Tupac, Obama. Shit, leukemia would be a blessing in that world. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> for bro. me at my age, at least. Not for a kid, obviously. But. <laughs> yeah, but there's no man great enough, bro. Just to let you know, if you didn't already know, that would keep me from, from, from that, from getting you those meds. Today's Mathematics is the latest episode of the HBO series, The Last of Us, titled Endure and Survive. It's uh, named after the in Last of Us universe fictional comic book, Savage Starlight. Uh, Big week for brothers this week, bro. City of Brotherly Love, the Kelsey brothers. We got Henry and Sam. We got uh, even, I mean, Michael. We got Tommy next week. Brothers seems to be like just in in the stratosphere, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. So this uh, podcast is very, it's very fitting, titled Bros. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so yeah, Savage Starlight is, uh, the, the episode is t- entitled after, uh, the like I said, the comic book. Brief synopsis of the comic book, set in the year 2186, the plot of Savage Starlight centers around Dr. Daniela Starr's adventures in space. She discovers a method of traveling faster than light via jump drive and soon finds that a group of hostile extraterrestrials known as the Travelers are threatening mankind. Sounds like, sounds like we. This is something we'd be in the we'd be in for, no? Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like Station Eleven, like in, like a, a liter- literature within a another universe. Yeah, kind of cool. Is it is it is it like pretty prominent in the game? They're just collectibles, and then you flip them over, and then it has a, the synopsis of that issue. But was what I thought was interesting. I barely noticed my my recent playthrough of the PS5 remake was in the back of it. It, it says Dark Horse Comics, uh, so like that's a real or it was. I'm not sure if they're still around. They might have. Well, the store, dispatched. the store on CityWalk, still there, right? It's called Dark Horse. I didn't know if they publish comics too. They do. They did. I, I thought I remembered. Uh, hearing about them getting disbanded, but they they might still be around. But yeah, I thought that was cool. So the protagonist is a woman. I didn't I didn't pick that pick up on that from the show. Yeah, uh, but that's cool. That's what's up. Uh, episode was written by Craig Mazin, directed again by Jeremy Webb. He directed last week's episode, as we mentioned. So he gets the second part. Felt like a complete film. And like we said, we would reserve complete judgment until watching this episode. Uh, did it no, change your stop us? <laughs> we should on that last yeah, episode. But, hey, we could walk some stuff back if we have to. I, I, uh, I don't feel like 
I mean, it, it doesn't excuse the 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 poor start for sure. And um, I mean, some of that stuff was necessary to get through, I guess. But it could have like the concept of it was well. I mean, well thought out, like the concept of Kathleen and her brother and and why she's vengeful and all that. But I just thought the execution uh, left a lot to be desired. And uh, this didn't really change my feelings on that last episode. I didn't. No. We didn't hate it, but. Um, it's clunky, um, the clunkiness of it all. Yeah, but this episode was a was a was a banger for sure. Not yeah. not a complete one hundred percent home run for for me. I'll get into it why. But and you said maybe maybe you were a little bit of a prisoner in the moment, but you felt like it was the best one yet, right? You still feel that way? Yeah, I mean, in so many words, I'll just brief put it briefly. I just feel like it checked all the boxes in terms of like ad- adapting, um, making making something improving like making something new or changing parts of the game and then um sticking to the the like the most important theme of the game and uh, and also hitting uh, hinting at future events i know I, I constantly bring it up but um i find it interesting how they they kind of they're leading leaving some breadcrumbs or they're leaving some glimpses of of some th- themes that will be hopefully more prominent in the second season as they start adapting the second game. Yeah, that's crazy. You're not yeah. the first one to say this. Charlie yeah. from Emergency Awesome kept alluding to a setup. He was saying maybe it would even be paid off at the end of this season. Yeah. But uh, he does a, he did a pretty good job of like not spoiling anything, but it had a lot to do with Allie and how Sam's death affects her or just how... Or it had something he every time like he touched on like the Ali Sam dynamic or what happened with Ali, uh, he kind of mentioned that it might be paid off at the end of this season. So I really have no idea what you guys are talking about, but that's what's up. I'm, I'm glad. surprised you haven't seen any spoilers. I feel like you you probably will soon enough. I'm real I'm real good about that. Even like I could like I have like a like a spidey sense about that shit, man. Like yeah, if I start to read a tweet, uh, I could tell right away that it's gonna ruin something. I'll uh, or if I'm like watching something on YouTube, I could tell. Uh, most most people are pretty good about warning, especially just because the blowback can be <laughs> debilitating. It could yeah. you could ruin your channel by spoiling something. So a lot of YouTubers and a lot of podcasters are pretty good about. Um, I was talking more so just like like certain apps in general, like like Twitter will always be like, oh, so and so liked this. So like if your homie likes a spoiler. Mm. You could inadvertently see that, you know, yeah, or something like along those lines, or even YouTube, they'll recommend you a video with of somebody who's not, it's not even really an official channel, but it's like a clip from the game. That's a spoiler or something, you know. Yeah. So it just depends. Um, anything else you want to say about your overall impression before I give my share my thoughts? Oh yeah, but like, yeah, basically what I was trying to say was yeah, I just felt like it. It 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 checked all the boxes in terms of the the kind of adapt adaptation of this I wanted and and it did so either um, very well or exceptionally. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like I mean, I, I just I, I like I liked the placement and the context of this episode more than anything. Like, like where where it's where it's coming, like it's right in the middle of the season, and you know how, how it kind of pays off certain. Um, because the last couple of weeks, like we have, we haven't really seen a lot of of the 
the infected action. Yeah. So I was worried that that was kind of getting lost in in the shuffle. And then it kind of makes sense here why maybe that was a choice because for sure the way it's it's framed here it's like it's that it's a it's a reality check in many ways for a lot of the characters yeah like the fact that they deprived us of infected over the last couple episodes made it even more uh like jarring and effective when you finally do see them again especially in the way that we see them again so i think it was intentional for them to kind of pull back and reserve um because we haven't seen them since episode two really yeah so it's been two straight episodes without them but um yeah i think that was smart for them to do and we've never really see seen um more than one no. you know as much as i i liked that the clickers uh, section of the second episode because it felt like um it felt like a big moment in in a even though it was a small scale you know it's not like he fought like a, a horde of them or anything or it's not like it was this crazy battle so um i liked i liked the way they've paced it for sure I, I mean i was getting a little anxious i'm not gonna lie just because you know of its of where it's what it's being adapted from a video game you know you, you kind of want to start getting that adrenaline going but even then i, I was open-minded regarding it and i was happy to see that they kind of like you said, didn't intentionally. Yeah, the show was for a bigger payoff. It was due for like a big action set piece, yeah. and everyone knew it was coming. We just didn't know exactly when or how. And this was surprising even for you because it doesn't happen that way in the game, right? Uh, no, yeah, like no way. Them emerging like from this. underground—that's a complete show invention. Yeah. So that was yeah, that was dope. Um, yeah, for, okay, so for me, yeah, like you said, it kind of ticked a lot of boxes. Yeah, that's basically what I had written down here. It's just that it has a little bit of something for everyone, basically. It has a yeah. lot of action, or it has action, has some suspense, some intrigue, a lot of humor, at least in the beginning, and then, the, and then like, uh, Henry, and the, the dynamic between Henry and Joel is kind of funny. Um, then there's, like, horror and gore and just, like, uh, and then uh, and then at the end it's just tragedy for those of us who uh, who who are in it for that too like a tear jerking tear jerker element of it also yeah like it basically had everything yeah uh, probably the most heartbreaking episode i mean everyone almost all these epi- almost all of them have like a moment <laughs> where i've like cried or teared up you know except maybe maybe two but even with tess going like what happened with tess was was, was fucked up but one three or no four didn't four didn't really jerk my tears but yeah one one two and three basically um all have like really devastating moments especially like in the final moments yeah um so yeah probably but probably like the most heartbreaking episode yeah just because there's like you know a child even younger than sarah involved you know this is basically a baby uh, yeah um all the technical aspects I, I really enjoyed too. And it almost, I mean, not to shade the director, but it almost felt like like a different director than the last episode just because like certain shots looked like a lot better. The, I mean, this is not more so the director, but like the set design was a lot stronger here. The acting was great here. Mm-hmm. Uh, like everything, all, all the technol like, yeah, the technical aspects of it were, were they hit through and through. I liked some. I liked the 
I mean, there was just, we, we got to see more of the city here, I think, in different environments, like the underground school. Yeah. And obviously the neighborhood. Yeah, everything was just, it, it, it felt like they a little more confident. Yeah, I didn't even mention like the well acting realized. and the performance, but that was probably some of the best stuff here. Some really standout performances between like the the Emmy guest actor. It's probably it's like you know how Ted Lasso sweeps the the supporting character yeah. category, and uh, I feel like the guest actor category is going to be all Last of Us between yeah Murray Bartlett and Nick Offerman and. Uh, now Lamar Johnson and even Kevon Kevon uh, Woods and I want to say I'll, I have his name here I'll get to it. Yeah, I'm curious to see like how much Kevon Wood even get nominated because it's like people's closest comparison to this type of show is Walking Dead, right? And from what I recall, I don't ever. I mean, I'm sure they've gotten a few Emmy nominations, but I don't ever remember them. I, I don't know about like for sweeping acting. or doing stuff that, stuff like that. I mean, obviously. This has the benefit of being an HBO show, having certain actors in there. But still, you know, we, we've we seen in the past, like, certain genres, people just don't even really try yeah. to get into. So I'm curious to see. They don't respect some of these genres. Um, what it'll get nominated for and, and how often or, or like, how many it, nominations it will really get. Yeah, at least specifically for acting, because yeah. Watchmen got nominated, but, like, not a lot of the actors got nominated for that. And I thought... yeah. They should have. I, um, so our boy, what's his name? I'm from drawing a blank on his name, Doctor Manhattan. He was nominated. Yeah, and I think Regina King was too. Um, but yeah, performance, direction, the writing was good. That the writing was like I, I like like I could actually pull a couple of lines of dialogue from here <laughs> that I liked. You know, opposed to last episode. <laughs> last week, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it's my favorite yet. I. I just I don't want to like rank them yet or anything, but it was definitely. I mean, so far, right? With a caveat, yeah, this is my favorite. Yeah, so I don't want to rank yet, but yeah, because like the pilot was great or the premiere was great. Yeah, the pilot is really good. Episode two is great, obviously. Episode three, so they're all, they're all like, yeah, this was a great one though. This was like probably the most entertaining and like felt like a, like an action like show or you know. Uh, so let's get into the episode breakdown. We open up with a flashback, so that was that was kind of cool to see again. But no cold open, so the second episode without a cold open now. But we flashback. You don't ex- we don't exactly know when it is. You just see like you know this mayhem. Seems like the takeover is happening. I kind of picked up, was able to pick up on it right away. That the hunter. This seems like the night that the hunters finally claim victory over Fedra. Um, you hear them screaming, shouting, "Freedom! Fuck you, Fedra!" Fuck you, Fedra. Uh, but it's straight up ma'am. Like I didn't, I couldn't tell who was who. Like who was Fedra? And well, I mean, I, I, I mean, I had an idea, but I just couldn't believe the way the, the some of the savagery and violence that the hunters were imposing on these Fedra agents, or or may, may, maybe even collaborators too. But there was executions. You saw this one guy like blow someone's head off. There was hangings. They're dragging bodies when they were um when they were like patrolling the neighborhoods. Uh, like uh, they were patrolling the neighborhoods, like announcing or kind of warning for people to the collaborators to like turn themselves in, and they were dragging a body as they were doing that. I don't, I don't yeah, know. and then they're saying, uh, "Well, ha- you'll have a fair trial." Yeah, I have it written here. It says, <laughs> "Casey belongs to the people. Collaborators surrender now, and you will receive a fair trial. Anyone caught will face charges of counter-revolutionary activities." 
it's never good when they have a like a name placed on like the discretion which is counter-revolutionary activities like sounds like a crime or you know it sounds like a charge a lot sounds re- like ironic yeah it's like <laughs> what like this regime was just placed by one that seems just as brutal and savage as, yeah. as the last one basically it's like you stopped the revolution it's like isn't that a good thing <laughs> for for most you know appointed a- agencies yeah no I, I can't imagine any real appointed agencies would want to revolutionary activities yeah but i mean i think what they meant what or what was, it was the hunters that were saying counter yeah 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 but um i just thought it was interesting how quickly they like seem to have already like drawn up legislation and shit. yeah that's what i'm saying like they've placed themselves in this like legislate like legislation type role yeah and they already have the lingo for it yeah so it's kind of funny they have like law enforcement out rolling yeah. out it's crazy they didn't. I had a bunch of questions from this, not necessarily like ones I needed answered, but I just like would have maybe liked to see, or maybe, I don't even know if I would like to see, but like how did it happen exactly? Like when is the moment of victory declared? Like is it did Fedra did Fedra surrender? Did was like one of their leaders captured? Did the hunters just straight up kill everyone? Did they like overtake their quarters? Um. Another question I had was like, is there like a Fedra corporate office that the Kansas City Division could have called for and asked for like help or, you know, sent, like Mayday, Mayday, we need help. You know, I wonder if there's any like interagency cooperation. Like other Fedras or, or other, other cities? Other, other QZs yeah. or is it just, it seems like, I guess it's everyone on their own. Yeah, probably. Um, like how I'm, did, sure, I'm sure that they do trades and stuff, but as far as, far as like taking like manpowered resources that's probably hard to do yeah it's probably like hard to like send more men or send more yeah. troops but um if i worked for fedra my you know morale would have taken a hit knowing that you're on your own basically like you know yeah. I, I can imagine there being whisperings of do you hear what happened in kansas city like if shit goes down we're fucked like they don't give a fuck they're, they're not gonna send no help you know what i'm saying like yeah. you want to know that you have some kind of support but yeah and that uh, corresponds to the their kind of demeanor in that particular city because the way Henry describes them later in the episode that they, they were just like monsters basically. Yeah, they were so the LAPD. If they didn't have to answer to other Fedra agencies then they really had no no way to to be reprimanded or punished for what they did. So Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure as much as they they kind of knew, yeah, it's just us. They also kind of reveled in that because it's like, well, we don't have to answer to anybody. It's just us. Fuck them. Yeah. We don't care what they're doing in other QZs. Yeah, Rampart Division, yeah. LAPD, Rampart. <laughs> um, So then we meet Henry and Sam. So that's when I realized, oh, the takeover was very, you know, pretty recent because they're basically wearing the same clothes that they had on in the last shot that we saw them in the last episode. So that kind of helped place us in time, right? I thought the show was, or I thought that opening was pretty well, um, well paced in like how it delivered information kind of piecemeal, you know? So we yeah. learned that the takeover is very recent and I was surprised to see Sam like so scared, you know, like he see like the first thing he sees is that body being dragged by the hunter, like uh, the hunter patrol. The same patrol that's saying you'll have a fair trial yeah, yeah. as a body mm-hmm. towed in the back of it. Yeah. <laughs> Fair trial with his body dragging. <laughs> um, Henry shields him, says, look at me, stay with me. We're going to go two blocks. But yeah, I was, I was surprised to see Sam. I don't know if you, this hit struck you, but 
His demeanor seemed much more childlike and innocent compared to that. We only got one shot of him in the last episode, but he's, but he seemed like much more kind of seasoned or ruthless, not ruthless, but like he had done what he had done what he was doing in the last episode before, you know, but here he looks so innocent that the actor was incredible. But yeah, the first look we see of his face, he's like frightened compared to how we first met him. Um, yeah, and the way I interpreted that was when we first see him in this episode, he doesn't have the the superhero paint, paint uh, mask paint on him, right. or war paint on him. Yeah. And then when we saw him at the end of last week, he had it on, so it kind of instilled some confidence, I guess, in him. Yeah, that too, yeah. or just like he, his, and then we see later, Henry was kind of hyping him up for the moment, and it was all, yeah. it was all a show, so that makes sense too. Yeah. Um. But, yeah. Um. Just want to shout out the actors real quick. So the actors, Lamar Johnson's playing Henry and Kevon Woodard uh, played Sam. And Kevon is uh, is deaf in real life, we learn later. Um, I was listening to the, the HBO official podcast. Quick, quick side note. Like the casting story behind finding Woodard was pretty difficult. The casting director um, couldn't find anyone like, you know, and, and the, throughout the casting calls. So Mason like was des- was getting desperate because time was running out. And he just put a call out on Twitter expecting to like be flooded with submissions, but they only got like 10 or 20 or something. And of those 10 or 20, they, they narrowed it down to about five. And from them, they, they picked Kevon and they knew immediately it was one of those stories. You know, you hear, you hear directors or writers talk about immediately. They knew that it was him and he kind of blew them away. So this is like his first big first project, basically. Um, but they, That's what Lamar Johnson said. This is his first thing ever, really. Yeah, I think he did like a short film or something else. Yeah. But um, just just the, the process of finding him was uh, it seemed like it was meant to be. Amazing, <laughs> even said this, this. This is the type of thing that makes you think you're living in a simulation because it's just so perfect, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was that was funny. Um, the internet. Yeah. Uh, Being used for some good. For once, yeah, for sure. Twitter before, before the takedown, before the yeah. revolution. Um, yeah. So, so we learned pretty pretty quickly that he's deaf. The choice to make him deaf was Craig Mazin's idea. Um, and it, he had two main. He he talked about the reasons why he had two main reasons. Like one of one was that he was afraid of repeating the same story beats of Joel and Allie. Like the mode of communication, he didn't want to kind of like I said, repeat some of that relational dynamic, the paternal father figure and, and basically innocent kid. He, he was afraid that that would happen um, between Henry and Sam, like kind of the same dynamic. So he felt that if he installed something different or something unique about their the way that they communicated, it would differentiate it from, from Joel and Allie. Uh, on top of that, if he felt like it established a deeper level of intimacy, he mentioned that in like the after show, it made Sam more reliant on Henry, you know, like, so it bring, yeah. can, brings them even more closer and kind of insulates them from everyone else. Um, and when he, when he brought the change up to Druckmann, Druckmann was like, you motherfucker, why didn't I think of that? Like, he felt like, of course, it's brilliant. How, did you like, what did you think of the change to were you hoping to see Sam kind of interact, you know, vocally or did you no. like the change? 
No, not really. Did it, it was kind of annoying in the game. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did it accomplish all the things that you think Mason was Mason said he was going for here? Like it's not this like by differentiating themselves. They changed quite a lot when you think about it. I mean, the the death aspect. We have their whole relationship dynamic is is pretty different. They're a lot. They're not as afraid to be intimate, and th- and that could also be a testament to the the change on his age. Because in the game, he's on. I think he's like twelve or thirteen. He's older. Yeah, he's older, and in this, he's only eight. And so, a lot of these changes. I felt like contributed to their their connection and the strength of their relationship in in good it, ways. It, it felt it felt so real, you know. It felt really um, like well thought out and and um, complete. Like e- even just with a few of their um, like from the get go, from the beginning, just a few of their interactions, like they, they really did feel like brothers. Yeah, that relationship was just like so obvious yeah chemistry was off the charts for them yeah i mean like right off the jump right from the jump um yeah i think those changes really did enrich their relationship and yeah it kind of like won us over immediately so it accomplished that pretty pretty well so after so they basically make a plan to get to a, a different building get to some get to us get to a safe haven where they're supposed to we later learn they're going to meet up with edelstein but before that we cut to kathleen your favorite uh another interrogation scene with kathleen uh this one she's addressing a whole bunch of different people opposed to just one person like we saw her in last episode and um she wasted no time in like addressing the collaborators i mean it seems like the takeover has just happened but right away she wants to talk to the rats she has them locked up. Um, she asked them if it's worth it. For what was it worth it to sell out your neighbors for medicine, alcohol, fucking apples? She says medicine first, yeah, or alcohol or medicine. One of them. Pretty sure it's That's medicine. interesting that she says medicine. Yeah. Um, maybe she probably knew what Fedro was like bartering with. You know, she probably heard about it. Um, I met in relation to uh, yeah to Henry. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. I know crazy um what kind of apples i would have begged like it depends like what kind of apples are we talking here you know if if it's pink lady fuji i might be willing to sell out a neighbor or two bro i can't imagine the apples being grown are are that good (laughs) probably terrible yeah but i mean if compared to eating rats like they did in the game and shit I'm i'm pretty sure an apple is pretty fucking good yeah I'm interested. To, I'm inter- interested to see which collaborator was willing to like sell out a, 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 their neighbor for though. For, like on a serious note, for a fucking apple or a batch of apples, like. Fedra was like, like, "Aren't you tired of eating rats? Doesn't this look delicious?" All right. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dog. I'll tell. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you everything. Give me that goddamn Fuji right now. <laughs> um. The, I thought I, I mentioned this when we were watching, but I thought this scene was much more effective. She felt much more imposing. Or at least effective in like establishing her as dangerous or threatening than the last interrogation, because she's like much more confident in this. She seems much more in control. She lies to them. She's um kind of more comfortable. I think it's because maybe learning after learning that it was Edelstein is a rat. She's kind of thrown off tilt. She's on tilt. Um, but 
yeah so she she um she basically lies to them saying they won't die if they inform she's like your informers inform where is henry where is henry and before she like gives up there's just one guy who, who can't help himself he just can't help himself he gives it he gives it all up he tells him about Ed, she tells her about edelstein she's pretty surprised about edelstein she says wow at least he was covering it up i'm like you fucking idiots um and then that's basically kind of we're we're kind of caught up now. We understand how this all went down. It's interesting how this episode plays with time. I understand now why they decided to do it this way. It's more effective and uh, for the Henry and Sam storyline, but for the Kathleen thing, like remember, I, I think I told you I was like, if they would have started with this, it, I think this is a better introduction than the last interrogation scene. Um. You know what I'm saying? What What do you think? Did, are you they're equally mid to you? No, no. Like I agree. Yeah. Like you know how, how last week I kept saying like it, it feels like like that scene with the doctor would have been it would have played out or it would have made more sense had we gotten one scene before this and if that if literally this scene if this was before that I might we might have not been as harsh on the that first exchange because that first exchange was just like what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Dude? Yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't better. even about like the way the information was doled out. I just think she was. Like I want to say, this scene was maybe filmed after that last one because she felt more comfortable with the character. Yeah. Uh, or she just felt more like a real person in this one than she did in the last one. Um, I mean, I guess it makes sense why she was acting weirder with him because she knew him longer, and he even says in that. In the line from last week that oh I delivered you and stuff so yeah that's the one thing that makes sense I, that I mean she's, I guess like, she's I don't know. Off, it's still clunky that she's off her game in the next one is that this is a yeah. new piece of info that she got in this scene the one we're talking about in this episode she had she knew it almost everything except where Henry is so the maybe the fact that she learns that Edelstein was a collaborator has her kind of like uh, unraveled a little bit or a little like off her game but. Um, besides that, I just thought she was pretty scary and haunting and like, I like Melanie Linsky in this, in this kind of mode. Never really see her this way. Um, and then we see her, we see her and and Perry have an exchange. She wants to commit basically all resources, all hands on deck to finding Henry like right away. This fool's like, Perry wants to go celebrate. (laughs) He wants to go to the bar and like, yeah, we fucking did it. And Perry does like, he gives her this classic slacker response after she tells him what she wants to do he's like now <laughs> you know i hate you know we know mom hates when she, if i'm telling you right now yes i want you to do this thing right now but uh yeah he, like i said he's not he's not really ready to jump right back into it i mean they just finished taking over fedra can he get one night can i get one night boss she's like no um he but besides that he questions the moves like the whole moves like st- strategy basically because it would require a lot of men. He thinks it's more important to prioritize collaborators at large or get up, make sure that, that the city is completely secure rather than going door to door. Um, but she says no. Like, And then she questions his commitment. And without saying so, she seems like she reminds him of Henry's crime because like, she says, like, he's not my seventh priority, Perry. Is he yours? And Perry seems to have... That guy got down. Like Jeffrey Pierce, shout out to him. I, I'm going to talk more about him later, but... He did a lot of he did a lot of like cool nonverbal very good nonverbal acting like I could see what his thought was when she said 
is he your seventh priority? You can see that he's remembering what Henry did, which we learn later is sell out Michael, Kathleen's brother, this man that Perry admired. Um, I didn't catch it until the second time, really, like that look on his face after she says that. But uh, did you did you notice how he said or his like his demeanor after she says, like, is he your seventh priority? Like, like what? Like he just he looks kind of guilty or like remorseful. Yeah, he looks like remorseful and like like, yeah, you're right. Like this motherfucker killed Michael. Like that's remember you said Mason like writes thoughts. I bet you that was the thought. Yeah. It was like, remember what Michael meant to you. And what Henry did, because that's what that's what. Um, well, Perry, again, I've only seen it once. Yeah. Um, I probably won't rewatch everything until like it's all over, and then I'll probably go through it again. Yeah, if see. you see it again, definitely you see something going on behind his eyes. Yeah, but when I first saw it, I interpreted it more as like he just folded in front of her because yeah, me too. she's fucking crazy. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, all right, yeah. boss, whatever. Yeah. Um. And then he's asked her, are we really putting them on trial? And she's like, ha, 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 of course not. <laughs> Burn the she, bodies, it's faster. So she's, at least she's, t- she's like, she's a f- time efficient. She's talking about like, uh, you know. Wait, did she really laugh like that? No, no I'm messing, <laughs> messing around. But when she said, what, what, like when he said, are we really going to put them on trial? It made me think of like the scarecrow from the Dark Knight Rises. Like I would have been like, oh, yeah. Does it look like we have the scarecrow around here to like pr- oversee these <laughs> trials perry no <laughs> i don't know uh but yeah she, especially in a post-apoc- a post-apocalyptic world sh- i'd rather you just kill me than me go on a trial dude yeah, fuck that. <laughs> uh, rather than just, just determine or flip a coin or something flip a coin <laughs> um burn the bodies it's faster so yeah i'm not trying to go in court yeah they're, they're trying to just um you basically learn how savage kathleen is through that exchange the way she says that shit is funny too. She's like, she almost says it like like a supervisor at like a at some kind of like grocery store or something like, kind of giving you tips like, oh, just burn the bodies like it's faster. Yeah, like, it's like like you're you're working too hard. Like, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't strain yourself. Right, this is not that serious. Yeah, like, she's just like, burn the bodies. She's like, trust me. It's like yeah, the end cap can. As long as the end caps display is prominently in the front of the row, it's fine. Or like I don't know, something something like, like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the way she like her tone in it is, is very like. A lot of people were you know it's it's old, but it's a good um. It's it's a good connection here, but they're calling her like, like if Karen, if the Karens of the world rose up, rose up in this post-apocalyptic world, she'd like fill that role nicely, and that's, she she kind of. Like you said it last week too. She has that speak to your manager energy. Yeah, for sure. But right there, she had she that. She is the manager. That manager energy. She's like, I killed the manager, so now I'm your manager. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just make sure all the hangers are evenly spaced two fingers before you close up. Um, She's like, fucking hangers? Yeah. Uh, so when they were, we return to Henry and Sam, they've reached their destination. It's the Edelstein hideout. Um. Edelstein, they 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 go into the building, and Edelstein kind of um, Kate, um, ushers them up into the this little attic. He tells them that he got it from a federal officer who owed him a favor, um, and that the hunters killed him. I guess uh, Edelstein reveals to to Henry what happened to him. They got no ammunition, and then uh, Henry kind of shares his plan with Edelstein that his plan is to get out of the city through the tunnels. Edelstein says, "Why go through the tunnels? You can kill yourself right here." 
<laughs> which is uh charlie charlie uh, from emergency awesome called out that this was dark foreshadowing for what happens next because he actually does end up killing himself you know um edelstein at what I what I would have liked here is like a scene between Edelstein and Sam because he seems to like care about him. He asks him, "Is he scared?" Uh, and then he kind of imparts advice to Henry that he's scared because you're scared. Basically, I, I like that little exchange, but I feel like there was a scene missing um, because later on Sam seems to be concerned about Edelstein. He's asking where he is if he's dead. One, you know. Did you think of that? Like, I wonder what their dynamic was. I'm, I'm sure that would have been sweet. They probably just didn't have enough time, you know? No, yeah. I mean, it, it would have been nice, but I mean, I don't think it was necessary. Necessary. And then also I kind of felt felt like his concern was more so of like, it was another person he was depending on and he's just worried and he's scared, you know? Yeah. It, I mean, like, I didn't really necessarily determine it as like him like really being them having a a a very strong a bond or anything like that like i'm sure they they did have some kind of bond but um when sam asked about it, i interpreted more like him just worried about the circumstances and and of like being hungry and and another person he's dependent on is not there you know yeah yeah for sure i yeah. think but i just i just picked up maybe the actor is very like endearing who plays edelstein yeah i picked up like that he cared about sam too so that's why i was like oh that was, that's kind of sweet he's a good doctor i mean <laughs> supposed to care yeah <laughs> um then henry goes over to sam and kind of like lets him know what's going down what the plan is how long they'll be able to stay here um he promises that no one's gonna find us here and this whole exchange was really sweet and, and kind of solidified the camp, like their relationship. It did a lot. Um, like when he's, this is probably one of my favorite moments when he says, do I look scared? And he kind of makes like this tough face Henry does. And I just love that moment. It's, it's heartbreaking now to think back, think back on it. But um, he's just doing his best to like, make, sh- make sure that Sam feels safe. You know, I love that. Um, he tells him that this place is ugly and he hands him over a bag of crowns. I, I love that part too. And this is kind of a departure from the game where Henry's kind of encouraging Sam to be a kid. Right. And in the game, it's kind of the opposite where you told me about a moment um, where Sam's like picking up a toy or something. And hmm. Henry stops They're going him. through a toy shop and he tries picking up a toy and, he, and he's, and he's like, there's hardly anything in my backpack. Like it's like, it won't even, it won't take up much room and he's like what's the rule the rules we take only what we need so it's more about like not stealing and more about like the morality of it more so than like him allowing him to be a kid but a little bit of both or what do you no it's more so like you need to leave leave room in your backpack in case we come across something that's actually valuable yeah so no time to be a kid yeah that bag Being of crayons looked, gonna get you killed. looked heavy so yeah huh <laughs> the bag of crayons looked kind of heavy so this Henry's yeah. a little bit more willing to haul around a little more weight if it means that uh, Sam will, you know, be able to have fun from time to time or draw or, or, or whatever. Yeah, and the thing I drew from it too is is the age aspect. You know, for all we know, the, the Henry in the game might have treated him the same at that young of an age. You know, but since Henry, since Sam in the game is older, he kind of expects him to, you know be on it a little more yeah um then we have a a time jump 10 days later i love how this scene kind of opens up 
it's the same place, but it's a different place in time. And you see all the adventures of Super Sam drawn all over the walls. And you can see he, he's been hard at work. He's he got down. He did a lot of, a lot of uh, Michelangelo, little Michelangelo. Uh, shout out to the production design. I thought it looked really cool, all the drawings on the wall. Um, Sam is hungry. Like, he's telling Henry that he's hungry. And Henry's looking out the window. He's kind of tracking all the Fedra movements. I thought that was sharp of him or just uh, the way that we, we kind of understand exactly what he's doing. Um, Edelstein hasn't been back for a whole day so this seems to be like the time that Kathleen captured him um, the next morning Edelstein comes back there's no more or he isn't coming back excuse me uh, they they decide that you know or Henry kind of relents and if he hasn't shown up in a day then something happened um, there's no more food and, and Henry tells Sam that they have to leave uh but that he kind of kind of instills confidence in him once again, letting him know that he knows the patterns of Fedra. This is like I said, we we mentioned this. Sam asks if if Edelstein's been killed, and I thought it was uh, interesting that Henry doesn't lie to protect him. He basically tells him how it is, you know. And I and uh, but you know, most of the time you see, we kind of protect kids with lies, you know, um, by not telling them really what it is or what's going on, you know. But Henry seems to, but sometimes that's to the kid's detriment. They either have like a misconception of what the world's really like and it's more important. You kind of got to decide as a parent, is it more important to keep your kids safe or to keep them aware or, you know, informed or um, tell them the truth? Is When does truth matter more than like comfort yeah. or safety? You got to have a, a more balanced and holistic approach, especially in in these kind of dire circumstances, like in the earlier scene, he's not lying to him, but he's trying to dis- distract him from the worries, right? He hands him the crayons for a reason. He's like, he's basically saying like, be a kid and, and just, you know, ease your mind and don't stress over this. Where, instead of, right there, he could have lied to him and like, like we're going to be fine. We're going to be safe no matter what. Like, Adelstein's going to come back or something like that. But instead he chooses to, to play the hand of distraction, which I, I think in most cases is better because if it shows that you're, you kind of know what they're, what they respond to. Mm-hmm. And as opposed to just protecting them, like you said, to their detriment and lying, you know, yeah. it's, it's hardly ever good to lie in most circumstances. Yeah. And, and you, we always hear that, that term of like white lies, but in that case, I don't th- in this world, I don't think there there could be a really white lie because there's danger around every corner. So you have to be very selective about when you choose to lie. Yeah, for sure. It's important to let them know, let him know exactly what's happening for his own safety. Yeah. Um, he gives, you know, Sam like hugs him. So he's kind of scared. It seems now that Edelstein's dead, you know, it just kind of re-solidifies in his mind the danger that they're in. I mean, if Edelstein's dead, he want he's maybe maybe that we're next. You don't know what's going on in Sam's mind, but he's scared. He hugs Henry, and you see Henry looking around at all of Sam's drawings, and he's kind of like in awe of them. He kind of looks like it seems like this is like the he's he's kind of like taken aback. It seems like this is the first time he's really taken the time to maybe look at the drawings, or if not, um, he's just looking at them for the for the first time again. And then uh, 
he paints the mask on him so that's when you you kind of I, I love this like because you saw the mask in the last episode and then you realize oh it was henry who put the mask on him i love little touches like that yeah really re- really beautiful endearing moment here um so then they 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 go downstairs as they're they're packed up and they're tr- they're trying to figure out a way to get out of the city and that's when we see we hear the crash uh and right away we kind of know it's joel crashing crashing through the truck and now you see that Henry Henry saw the whole thing go down. Um, pretty cool the way this goes down, right? We're watching Poker Face, and Poker Face does this a lot, where it shows the same event from two different perspectives. Yeah, it's like every episode. Yeah, basically every episode. <laughs> um, it's tight. But, uh, yeah, you actually see... I remember we mentioned last week that you don't see um, that first hunter who got killed. He gets killed off screen, the one that uh, Joel shoots. But you see him get shot here, and it's like a headshot. It looked pretty gnarly. And uh, oh, it was a headshot. Yeah. Nice. And Henry's like, Henry's like, that's that's our guy. <laughs> <laughs> he seems super impressed. And light bulb. He gets an eye. Scouting him in the gym, right there. Yeah. Adam Sandler. <laughs> He's like, that's my so guy. this kid's got potential. This kid's got. He's a little old, but he'll do. Yeah, <laughs> a little old. <laughs> a little long in the tooth, but still got it. I like how. Uh, like you see the light bulb go off and um so now Henry has a new plan so it's to follow Joel and Allie the we cut to the next scene and it's when they encounter that glass trap and and uh this is where you see Henry kind of pump up Sam tells him remember what to do um and like yeah he like I like that moment it just recontextualizes that whole moment you know like when I, the way I read it from the first uh from last week's episode I thought that they do this all the time, you know? Like, it seemed like Sam and Henry had done this all the time. The way Henry, like, puts his finger to his uh, mouth, which which now has, like, a different layer of meaning, knowing that he's deaf, you know? Like, the fact that he's telling them to be quiet, kind of kind kind of, kind of uh, interesting. Um, right away, like, right, right as soon as um, Joel wakes up, Henry, like, makes sure he lets him know that we want to help you, everything, you know, we want to help you. And Joel has like this strange threatening tone. This was like the funniest part of the episode, but uh Henry's like, That's a weird fucking tone, man, when after Joel says okay or or whatever he says. And Ellie's like, Nah man, that's just the way he talks. Come on, Joel, tell him. Everything's great. <laughs> he said she says asshole voice. That's his asshole oh, yeah, voice, yeah. right? That's his asshole yeah. voice. So that's just his asshole voice. He he does that all the time. Right, Joel? Tell him. Yeah, exactly. Good yeah. good 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 memory. Um Everything's great, and she's like, "Dude," and Henry's like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> but this is good. This is a good line. I mentioned that at the top of the episode that there was a couple good lines here. I like this line. He says, "I'm the most." When Joel says, "Who are you?" I'm the most wanted man in KC, but my guess is you're running a close second. I like that line. Um, next scene, they're sharing some food. So we mentioned this last week how Bill and Frank kind of live on through these little remnants that they leave behind and. It doesn't we never really learn what they're eating, but I'm guessing it's some sort of like beef jerky. Um, but I love that we're still Bill and 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 Frank are still like in the air. You know, even in two episodes departed from the last one. Yeah, Ali says something like we got it. We got it from her. her his friend Bill. He's dead. Or something yeah, she's like, like he's dead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a kid. Um, and then that's when she kind of tries to like make friends. You know, Al, you got to think like Ali is much more 
she's still a kid like she sees another kid she's probably wants to make a friend she sees an opportunity here to like make a make a new friend you know so she tries to like introduce herself as like the most awkward <laughs> like friend like attempt at uh breaking ice but she's trying and she introduces herself gives her name and she kind of nudges joel to do the same and i thought this was hilarious too the way he like coughs and he's like i'm joel look we hate we didn't kill each other let's call this a win and win and move on and uh i'm gonna i'm gonna steal that line next time i want to excuse myself from the dinner table at thanksgiving bro i don't know about you but that's a good one if you want to get out of a a family dinner pretty quickly <laughs> so i was gonna say that's a good one to end like a online dating app date too <laughs> oh yeah a bad date <laughs> we ate we didn't kill each other let's call this a <laughs> yeah a lot <laughs> yeah um joel is very like of the no new friends click like he's not very interested and in just uh, you know he has his walls up um but henry has something to barter with yeah he knows he wants to get them he want want he knows that Joel wants to get out of the city, so he tells him that, you know, he kind of call, predicts exactly, or he kind of, like, calls exactly what Joel's plan is, which is to wait till daylight, get to the top of the building so you can map out map out the city and find a way out. And Joel's like, fuck, that's basically exactly my plan. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So Henry promises that he knows a way out. Uh, so that we get more, a little bit more exposition here, which we already knew most of this, but we get some new pieces of information. Fedra has been 10 days since Fedra has been taken down. They had one of the worst reputations. Joel's like, is it as, were they as bad as, you know, they say, um, and Henry says worse, you know, they raped, murdered and tortured us for 20 fucking years. And, um, Henry admits to being a collaborator and right away, Joel's like, nah, I don't work with rats. Um, those snitches get stitches. Yeah, though. I don't know. It's, Joel's <laughs> like very much does not fuck with rats. I just think it's a funny name, Rat. Like whenever I see it in media or film and TV, uh, I don't know. It's I wonder where that came from. Or I know it's came. It's like a mop. I think it's like a mafia. Like the mafia is the one that really came up with it. I want to say I should have looked into the origin, but um, yeah, it is a. Like imagine any other animal like being used in that connotation. Like I don't, I don't work with like in hamsters. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> but it always, it also also makes always makes me think of the scene in The Departed when uh, Costello's telling um, Leo's character that I got this fucking rat, and he does a little rat face. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, he looks like a rat in the entire movie, dude. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but yeah, every time rats mentioned, it makes me think I got this fucking rat. And AMC had that fucking amazing marathon on the other day. What It started with Scarface, Godfather 2, and then Departed. Oh, yeah, a bunch of and there was another one. Crime classics. Yeah, we watched a little mm-hmm. bit of The Departed. Yeah, that's one of those movies that'll just suck me in. I gotta, like remind myself that it's on tv and i gotta get up or change it i don't know you know it's... i remember all throughout high school that i would say like when people ask me that what well, my favorite movie was i would say that's yeah i remember movie. that yeah um, so um we learn why henry wants to recruit joel joel's like why do you need my help if you know a way out and it's because he realizes that joel's capable you know we we saw people mention you know kind of referring to joel as capable in earlier episodes and once again uh he 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 Henry saw that firsthand, so we learned that uh, that's that's his motivation to recruit Joel on, onto like his little mission. 
And it's because Henry's not violent. He says the closest he ever came to being violent was pointing an unloaded gun at, at, at Joel and Allie. So that he needs he needs someone like him. Um, as they're, you know, making this deal, you hear Allie and Sam like off to the side and they're laughing and they're kind of making friends and this is pulled from the game too, like this little laughter interruption. I saw a cut cut scene of this, so um yeah, like very at least this first couple of moments with Henry and Sam, other other than like the death, there's not the death element, there's not very much departure from the game, it seems. Right. Yeah, there's a cool section in the game too where they're going through like a like a suburban like abandoned neighborhood and they come across like a a dartboard and they're playing darts. Uh-huh. And you can even throw a dart with Joel and he fucking misses like bad. <laughs> like he he hits the wall like three feet to the right. Shit's funny. <laughs> he doesn't even say anything and no one says anything. Like you would think I'd be like, God, you suck. <laughs> but like no one says anything. It's funny. at this point she probably just expects him to be bad at things like that <laughs> yeah um next we see henry lay out his quote dicey as fuck plan uh i like that dicey as fuck plan um he kind of lays it out it might like the fact that they're in a boardroom made me think of like uh, a don draper ad man presentation you know yeah i told you that when we were watching it yeah. too yeah uh you did i didn't i don't remember you... no, I, I didn't say the madman thing but i'm like that, that boardroom presentation oh, yeah. like yeah it's funny. that's funny and then he even recruits Sam for like the tagline. I thought that was yeah. cute. He's like, yeah. wait for it. Tunnels. <laughs> um, so yeah, he lays out his plan on how to get out of the city is through underground tunnels. Kind of tells him, maps it out, lets him know where Kathleen is occupying and how they can make their way around it. And basically that they could pop up in the west side north as a residential area. Um, I have a note here that the that the in the game the his whole motivation is much different, but it's mainly because it seems like the hunters don't keep kids around, right? Like for some reason in the game it seemed like they don't keep the kid I mean, I don't know what they do with kids, but it just seems like that's Henry's main concern is that they have no use for kids or that they mistreat the kids or something and that's why I mean other than just well, wanting to get out of the city. Well when they first encounter each other you're like going through a window. So the first person to go through the window obviously is Joel and then Henry just jumps on him. And then Allie's like, she's like, hey. And then and then Henry, like, looks at her all weird, like, what the fuck? And then she, like, cuts him with her knife. And then uh, and then Joel just starts beating the shit out of Henry. And then Sam pulls the gun on, on Joel and them. And then that's one of the, uh, Henry's like, damn, man, you hit hard. And then Joel's all, what did he say? He's all, I was trying to kill you. <laughs> And then, <laughs> and then Henry's like, he's like, I, I, he's, like, I knew you guys weren't with them. Like, they don't keep kids around, uh, so that's why he was shocked when, but before he even she even stabbed him because she was like, what the fuck? Because when he first pulled up, I mean, he probably looks like a hunter. Yeah. To Henry. Yeah. But then she sees him, or he sees her with the little kid, and he's like, oh, these fools are. I could probably recruit them. Yeah. Or I can, they could help, we can help each other. But basically, the whole g- collaborator thing is a show invention. Like, Henry wasn't yeah. a rat. There was no Kathleen in the game, as we know. But his base, his motivation was just to get the hell out of, get the hell out of there. And it's actually. Yeah, he was passing through for supplies with another group of people in the game. And he, they all just get fucked up by the hunters. Yeah. And he's like the only one that survives. Yeah. And his destination is to find the fireflies. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's a little bit different than the game. And in and, and the show, Henry doesn't mention the Fireflies at all. Um, so once once 
Henry lays out his plan. Joel's basically like, what's the catch? And Henry says, did you notice anything strange about this city other than all the fucked up shit that you've seen so far? And Allie's like, no infected. And we learn that through Henry that the infected were drove underground by Fedra several years ago. He learned this from the Fedra guy he was working with. Um, that the reason why Kathleen won't go down there is because she thinks it's full of infected, so they'll they'll be safe from her. They'll be safe in, from infected because it's basically clean, except maybe one or two. He says. <laughs> um, well, the doctor must have not known that either, because he mentions in that first scene with them that like, if you want to go through the tunnels, you may as well clear yourself. Yeah, that was one thing that seemed strange. Was why not bring Edelstein or why not? Why did they wait for ten days? Maybe they just wanted to. Or maybe Henry needed to see how Fedra would move around the city, or excuse me, the hunters would move through the city before making his break. You know, why not? Or maybe that was like his his plan C or plan B, like his last resort. Like, if we have to, we'll go through the tunnels, but I don't want to tell anyone that because then what if they torture him and he tells them they're probably going to go through the Plus tunnels. Plus he was waiting yeah. to maybe find... I don't know if the plan was, or well, it's yeah, it was to get through the tunnels because he mentions yeah. that to Edelstein, but I don't know if his plan was to get ammunition because it seems like the only thing stopping him from going was he was just scared that there still might be some infected and he wasn't, he needed someone like Joel to go with him. So, um, so does he mention the tunnels to Edelstein? Yeah, he does. He, oh, yeah, he remember does. Edelstein okay. says, why not just kill yourself here? Oh, yeah, duh, duh, um, duh, duh, yeah, but. Damn, so Edelstein didn't give him up, huh? Yeah, he did. Right? I mean... Cause he he could have told her while well, they're going through the tunnels. Not, not only that, he knew where they were at. She asked, where is he? She knew He knew yeah. where they were at. And then he knew their plan, too, so... Damn. Real one. Best doctor in the world. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that that's kind of... I don't know if that's a plot hole, but it's like, why... What, what if he never met Joel? How was he going to get out? You know, what was his plan then you know maybe just sneak out on the surface maybe that's why he was tracking Fedra but like we said he mentions the tunnels early on so so maybe he was just gonna risk it all roll the dice and, and go through the tunnels anyway or what but now that he sees now that he found Joel for sure this is the plan now because he just needs like you said needs someone capable um Allie asks like so he says, yeah, there might be one or two, but it's basically clear. She asks about the blind ones, and Henry's like, wait, you, you ran into a clicker? And I feel like they've been referred to as clickers before on the show, right? Yeah. Allie or Tess. I think the Tess episode, they call them clickers. Yeah. Um, But this is like the second time or so. I think this is the second time we actually hear that name, and I like this part too. This is a, this is a cool line when uh, he says, so you ran into a clicker and you're still alive? And she, you know, they say yes, and he's like, "See, you, you're the right people." And Lamar's really good in this in this exchange. Yeah. He seems like so happy that he found Joel and Ali. You know, he's like almost smiling. He's like giddy, <laughs> like you're the right people. Hell yeah. Um. And Henry kind of <laughs> leverages Sam's cuteness to their advantage. When Sam, it seems like he coached Sam into asking him, "What did they say?" Like, okay, at this moment, you're gonna ask me, like, so what's going on? And uh, Sam does that. He basically signs to him. What did they say? And what are they saying? Yeah, what yeah. are they saying? And, and Henry's yeah. like, they're gonna help us, right? Like, how could you say no to this face, bro? <laughs> Guilt trip the fuck and out. Sam's of like puppy dog eyes. Cool moment. Um, next we see them entering the tunnel. 
And Joel tells Ellie, get your gun out. And she couldn't be more excited. She's like, you don't have to tell me twice, motherfucker. Like, she's ready. She draws that thing out right away, loaded and everything. She's ready to go. <laughs> and then right away, Henry's like, see, it's empty. The plan is good. Joel's like, the plan is good? <laughs> We've been down here two fucking seconds. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, but it reminded me of this jingle all the way. The movie jingle all the way when... Uh, Wait, did he say two two seconds? Like that? Yeah, he says, like, we've been yeah. down here for two seconds. That's funny. <laughs> but it reminds me of Jing All the Way where Arnold is trying to secure this damn Turbo Man doll and he, Jim Belushi sells him like a, like a, like a counterfeit one. And before, before, like, or Arnold wants to open it up to see it, make sure it's good. And, and before, like, he, he wants to play with it and Jim Belushi's like, see, look, there it is. It's perfect. It's Turbo Man. And he's like, wait a second. I want to actually see if it works and the fucking thing falls apart right away i don't know but it, it, it you get that sometimes where you, you're selling something or you don't want people to look too deeply or examine it too closely and you're like see see it looks good okay we have a deal reminded <laughs> me sort of of that um and he's like your dad is kind of a pessimist and right away they both go you know he's not my dad i'm not her dad funny moment um so yeah humor like i remember we mentioned this in the hype episode how we were hope hoping that there would be moments of levity and humor sprinkled throughout and so far like there's at least three or four moments every episode where you and i are laughing like out loud right it's it's it's, it's pretty great that the show can find space to do that and that it's always well timed you know and it, and it makes sense since craig mazin comes from comedy you know from scary movie and all those movies he knows when to drop mm-hmm. a good joke or when to break the tension with something like this and this whole exchange was was really funny um so they continue on and through the tunnels, and then that's when they come across this ish settlement. You see all the walls. Production design looks really great again. Um, this The childhood theme that I mentioned in the last episode is carried over here. You know, we, I mentioned last episode how the idea of childhood and innocence and um, kind of seemed to be like a running theme in that episode. And it, it's not as much here, but you still see it, you know, with the the way that the kids are interacting and then with this with this settlement that they that they encounter here. Did you know right away what it was? Is this how they encounter it in the game? The children's school? Um, not really, because in the game, they have to get past, like, a security point, and they have, like, a floodlight and shit. So you have to take out a couple of the hunters, and, um, and then they get ambushed, and it's funny because um, as they're they're going over a wall with like this tiny, tiny like ladder type thing. It's actually like a, a a truck with this tiny ladder attached to it. And so all so three of them get up. It's Ali, Henry, and Sam. They all get up, and then Joel's the last one. And of course, the fucking it breaks. And in the car, the hunters have access to like an, an older Fedra vehicle with like a fucking like Gatling gun on it. It's like a it's almost like a jeep tank with a gun at, in, like attached to it. So like that starts chasing them, and then fucking Henry and Sa- or Henry's like, because the, uh, the ladder falls off and they're all panicking and they're like, "What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do?" And Henry's just like, "I'm sorry," and he just fucking dips and and Ali's like, "Henry, what the fuck?" And then so uh, Ali just jumps down and she's like, "No, we stick together." So then they start fucking running from the the truck and then they end up at this bridge and it's it's all like blown to shit and and it's over water and, and the uh, a big theme of the 
and they mentioned it in this story, but a big theme of the game is swim. She can't swim. She can't swim. And so Joel's like panicking, like, what, what are we going to like? It's like, no, like, fuck it. Like, we're going to have to jump. We're going to have to jump. We're cornered. And he's like, no, no, no. And then she's like, she's like, you'll, you'll save me. Like, like you'll, you'll keep me afloat. And she just fucking jumps in. And he's like, Ellie. And he jumps down with her. And like, he grabs her. But then like the waves like hit, hit him against a rock. And then it cuts to them on the shore. Mm. And Henry and Sam are there. And, and Henry's like trying to like ease the tension. He's like, see, like I told you, you'd be all right or whatever. And Joel gets up. He's fucking pissed. <laughs> Then he cracks Joel, and then he puts a gun on him, and Sam's like, "Wait, wait!" And I always remember this line because Joy, Joy Troy Baker sounds funny. He like Joel points the gun at Sam for like a second. He's like, "Get back, son!" <laughs> <laughs> and then they uh, Henry kind of argues, or uh, Allie kind of stands up for Henry. She's like, "We would have drowned without him. He got us out of the water, like just just squashed it or whatever." And then from from the shore, they enter the sewer. And that's where they, um, there's actually an interesting section here too, because they encounter infected in, in the, the sewer, Yeah. but there's a point where they get separated. Um, or like, like their, their two subgroups get separated. So it's Joel and Sam for a while. And then, um, Henry and, and Ellie are together. So like that whole section with, with, with all the, um, with like the kids classrooms, it's it's just Joel and Sam and like no one even they're they're not even really talking like it's kind of awkward like they have a few lines together but they don't really t- speak mm-hmm. so it, it was a uh, I liked the change here to like make it more of like um like like them entering this lost kingdom type of thing. yeah the, especially with the the doorway how it was painted like a castle yeah it looked great it was yeah. cool uh, felt yeah you said lost kingdom it felt very magical and like yeah. just yeah the the design of it was cool um it was like this world's this world's uh idea for or like the best they can come close to an amusement park and and even when they're sitting down watching them play it kind of reminded me of that like like parents at an amusement park like kind of bored to shit but then they're looking at the kids (laughs) having fun they're like yeah it's worth it or like a park yeah 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 like a park Um, or something playground joel mentions that you know he's heard of places like this and they kind of walk around and they're taking it all in. And then you see this little crayon drawing and it says Danny and Ish, our protectors. And um, yeah, I thought it was cool because you you were talking a lot about Ish in the last in the last uh, in our last episode. So it was interesting to see this show up here. I think a lot of people connect Ish, Ish's storyline to Henry or did, did were other people kind of. Well, it comes in that section. Yeah, so that's but, maybe but, why but, they were yeah. hoping to see something. But um, in terms of like, like you only hear Joel like make a few, have a few lines about it. Like after pick, reading and picking up a couple of the, the collectible items of the letters and shit. But there's never like a, a dialogue between him, like oh, did you like between him and Henry about yeah. it? No. And like I said, th- that section comes when Henry and Joel are separated. Yeah. Um, so kind of a nod to the fans, a nod to the game. And yeah, Mason sure. and Druckmann talked in the podcast about how they wanted to do something to pay homage to that character because it that whole storyline really grew in popularity and kind of like um, more so than Druckmann expected when he kind of wrote it into the game because it is just like it's not a necessary it's not necessary to completing the game right. It's kind of like just 
uh, fleshes out the environment, environmental gameplay. Um, but it is like a story within a story, and you learn about Ish and his, you know, his heroics through this, through the letters, and I thought that was cool. Yeah, and it's it's really well written too. You know, most of those collectible things, like they're so hard to get through because like they're just corny. Yeah. And then and then you think about like the parameters of it. Like, why the fuck would this fool write a letter when they're like dying and shit? Because yeah. a lot, like even playing, cause I'm playing Hogwarts Legacy right now. A lot of the letters you pick up are just like, God damn. Especially with some of the J.K. Rowling terminology, you're just like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think a lot of it is is dope. But, you know, some of the more, like, cheesy aspects of it, you, you read a couple sentences, you're just like, this shit is, like, I'm already, I already, I already forgot what I read. Yeah. But a lot of the writing in those sections, are, it's so engaging, and it, it paints such a picture, like, at least for me, you can't help but, like, almost imagine, it. like, you can, like, see some of the characters in your head, especially, like, the fact that you're given access to the setting to which, to which they once dwelled and lived and had a community like I remember one one portion or one part of the of that whole area is like a um it's like a water room because it, I guess it rains a lot in Pittsburgh so uh, one of the people in the set in Isha's settlement there they figured out how to to use the rainwater and filter it to become drinking water so like you're in a room there's a bunch of like uh like water bottles like a, with um contraptions attached to them to like make drinking water from it and like uh, yeah you could just see like like there was a there was once a thriving community yeah but so so that's a little different from the show is that he didn't he wasn't like organized like he he came upon this place after it was condemned right and in the show it seems like he was like the organizer and the leader of it um right who ish no like i I, like i said uh, ish the first letter you find so right after that that section where Henry pulls you out of the water and you're on the shore, mm-hmm. you come across a boat and that's the first letter you find and that's Ish. So when the pandemic first blowed or went up, he he was at he was, at he sea? was like on his boat at sea. So he stayed he stayed out there for as long as he could. He probably had a good amount of food or whatever. And then he he pulls up on the Pittsburgh shore. Yeah. And he's at first he's just in that settlement on his own. He's like he's seeing like the safety of it and and how he's been able. He talks about how he's been able to trade with certain people, and then he starts talking about how he's been trading with people with families. And like at first he's skeptical because oh, yeah. he's he's skeptical because he's like I don't want them to think I'm weird or them not to trust me. I mean he doesn't say it like this, but you could tell like the way in which he he puts his words that like. Like he feels bad because he wants to help them, but at the same time he doesn't know. You know, he's not too sure if he could, if they could be trusted, or if he could, or if they'll even trust him. Yeah, it says he right here. He says that he encountered a family, Susan, Kyle, and their children. And he was surprised that mm-hmm. they didn't shoot him, and then he decided to build out this this, this little um, community with yeah. Danny, who he meets as well. Yeah, I, I watched a video, and for some reason, I thought that in the game, Ish like came upon the community after. I mean, he came upon like all the rooms but, but and he, stuff, but he made it what it was. Yeah, right? yeah, in the game. Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. Well, they all made, well, they all made it together. Yeah. yeah, but at first he was just in there by himself, so he probably wasn't as well fleshed out. Mm-hmm. And then that's when you find those letters. Like once the people come in after there, then they they get the water the water from the rain. They get the classroom. They get all that shit. Yeah, that's 
pretty deep and like like I, like I mentioned last episode, kind of a ripe place to ex- explore for story. But they just, Druckmann and Mason mentioned that they just didn't have the time, but they wanted to do something, and this was gonna have to be enough. And it, I thought it it was because you you get it feels important the way that the camera lingers on takes its time in that sequence. It's like it, it felt intentional and like that it was meant to that it was special. And you get the idea that the production design was incredible and the set design and all that felt like a real lived in place. Um, yeah. And I can't help but think, especially considering some of these properties are, are very similar and, but you know, walking dead has its spinoff shows where we're seeing, or I'm excited for the um, the Quiet Place spinoff. Yeah. You know, it's gonna be com- set in the the same world with new actors. Was it Peter Nyong'o mm-hmm. and uh, Eddie Munson? What's that fool's name? His real name? Eddie Munson. Oh, Dan Daniel Danny something. No, no, it's I forgot. But the guy who fucking plays yeah. Eddie Munson in Stranger Things. He's gonna be in the the spinoff for the Quiet Place. So, so I mean, you mean if the show ever gets big enough, like that would be cool. You know, maybe like a six. Like a five episode, like mini series of just stories in this universe, you know, that would be cool. Yeah, now it's gonna bug me what what homeboy's name was. Something with a J, I thought. Jonathan. Nah, I forgot. I just remember Doja Cat thirsting after him. Yeah, that was funny. (laughs) She loves her white boys. Uh, I'm gonna find this out. Oh, Joseph Quinn. Yeah, see, it's something with a J. Yeah, I knew it. Joseph Quinn. But yeah, it just made me think about that, especially because you, you, I mean, I haven't listened to the podcast, but you made it seem like when you were telling me that they kind of maybe wanted to flesh it out more, maybe actually have some footage and shit yeah. of this. And I, w- I would have loved that. But I mean, the fact that they at least paid homage to it and they showed the setting and it, and it painted you in that similar vein and kind of gave viewers a, a similar experience to the gamers who played this section of the game, you know, kind of being seeing the aftermath of a thriving community rather than, you know, seeing it come come up and, and inevitably fall down. Yeah, it would have so maybe like, slowed the story down, not not made yeah, sense. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. I, I'm I'm glad or it makes sense for them to skip over. I'm glad they paid homage to it. Yeah. But like, yeah, sometimes you can't help but but want to see it on, on a yeah. screen. You this know? would have been a cool like cold open or something, but yeah, um, maybe they're saving that for like a spinoff. You never know, depending on how big the show gets. And also considering how it ends, it would not have been good to show that. You know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um. So next we see we see uh, Allie and Sam, and they're they kind of we're looking around, and they're looking at the different um, like playthings and books and stuff, and they find a Savage and Starlight comic, and Allie real and Allie realizes that Sam likes this comic too and she like gets super stoked and she kind of puts on this voice and mentions the motto from the comic which is to the edge of the universe and back endure and survive and sam teaches Allie the sign for endure and survive that that was great um and she's like fuck yeah man i don't know that's so funny she's so excited (laughs) to like learn sign language and to find someone else who loves the same thing that you do you know it's always it's interesting how like people bond over their shared love of something and you do get excited when you hear that some like someone you know or like a an acquaintance or someone uh, loves this thing the same as you, especially as if it's something that's not as mainstream or you know like love over a, a musician or 
a movie or a book or whatever that that's always like a like a shortcut to a quick friendship you know it's 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 uh interesting to consider like how it differentiates so like if it's something everyone's talking about it is not it doesn't feel as special you know like oh have you seen the new season of stranger things or something like that it's like doesn't feel as it kind of feels more like you feel more obligated to talk about it than excited but if it's something like you know for a fact that i mean it does sound kind of snobby and hipsterish but whatever but you know for a fact not many people are as tapped into you know as like let's say for example like a vince staple album as opposed to like a drake album when you come across a vince staple fan you're like hell yeah like it excites you more than like oh have you listened to the new drake you know shit like that kendrick j cole kendrick or j cole yeah like that's yeah yeah well even i think kendrick's interesting too because there are i've i have come across a lot of people who don't like younger people especially yeah Uh. so even kendrick even with him being like a he is mainstream but i mean he still well he even said in his grammy speech he's a big he he always wanted to be the biggest underground artist in the world (laughs) so that's the way i kind of see him um one that I get excited for is like if someone mentions that they're watching The Boys or they're into Invincible. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Watchmen was one because mm-hmm. it was they're not like these huge cultural mainstream things, but like House of the Dragon, of course, everyone's watching House of the Dragon. Yeah, but even that one's good yeah. too. Yeah. And, at least right yeah. now. And Succession now, everyone's watching Succession, so it's yeah. like yeah, of course you're. But I was on Succession since season one, so <laughs> fuck y'all. Um, yeah but yeah it's 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 cool it's like i said it's a shortcut to 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 friendship basically um ali loves this place it seems like she wants to stay the night joel wants to keep moving and henry says it's not a bad idea to wait out the light um and move move when it's dark so um they agree to spend the night henry and joel as you mentioned earlier they sit down and they're just watching ali and sam play around and they're playing soccer and she she scores she scores on sam sam's not the greatest goalkeeper um but uh she does like this spin around and i bet uh, i don't know she she for i was thinking like this girl's 20 years old but she she really captured like that 13 14 year old energy and like she's spinning around and oh my god so it was very cute um joel kind of opens up to henry apologizes for calling him a rat after realizing after realizing that you know his why for everything is sam and that now and now that he stops to think about it, that the hunter's response seems, quote, cruel. He calls it cruel. And then Henry tells him the whole truth. He tells him that, you know, that there was this great man, this great man, the kind of man you follow anywhere. And we keep being told, we were told later on that Michael was a great man, but um, it's hard. It, like, it, this didn't completely work for me, this mystique or this, like, um, legend of Michael, you know, without seeing any of it and just hearing people say he was great like uh i know that they have to be um like they have to streamline the storytelling and make sure they get as much information across as possible but i just felt like constantly being told that this person was a great man isn't the best way to do it i don't know i I really don't know how any other way that they could do it but it didn't always work for me but um henry talks about him a little bit at first i thought he was talking about like his dad or someone but then we learn later on that he's talking about the leader of the kansas city resistance and it seems like henry like held a pretty high rank with the hunter so there's a couple of things that are kind of implied through this and it's seems like henry might have even worked closely with michael you know like 
seems like he knew him on a more personal level, not just someone like on the outside in. It seemed like he was in the inside, like probably inside, like maybe Michael's close circle. Um, and Lamar Johnson and Perry do this to, or Jeffrey Pierce later on when he talks about Michael, like it's no shade towards the actors. I think that they really crafted in their minds who this guy was. Like that's one thing I watch when I'm watching an actor talk about a person off screen or a person we're not talking about. It's like, you can always tell when they're just kind of talking about someone they made up or when they've actually taken the time to what, what, what like craft out who this person is and what they mean to them. And, and uh, like the inner dialogue and the inner thoughts and this inner life and this relationship that they have with this person they're mentioning. And I thought Lamar Johnson did a pretty good job of like making this person seem as real as he could without him ever being on screen. Um, then we learn that Sam got sick and it's leukemia and the, the medicine was scarce and it belonged to Fedra. So that's, and in order to get it, it would take something big. And that big thing was giving up Michael. Um, just a couple of like questions I had here. Like, I wonder if Fedra targeted Henry or if it was the other way around, right? Like, were they searching for an entry point into the, like the resistance operation? And then they learned that Henry had a sick brother, then decided to target him based off of that, you know, like, okay, look, there's this vulnerability here within Michael's circle. Um, it's hen- this guy has a sick brother. You know, you sometimes see that played out like when people are trying like um like for example with the feds uh are trying to get in with the Sopranos, right? They spot the weakness in Adriana and they kind of zero in on that. I wonder if it happened with like that with Henry or if Henry needed medicine and he knew that the only thing he could bargain with was currency. Basically, I wonder if Henry went to Fedra or Fedra went to Henry, you know, because that kind of changes things a little bit. Maybe not as much and the show doesn't have time to like get into all that. But I feel like um, that's like an interesting kind of like and or storyline, you know. Uh, I mean, I think it's at least in the game, it's alluded to a couple of times that. When it comes to medical supplies, like most of those things, at least ones that are reliable and are going to work, like Fedra, like that's kind of what Fedra has over people, like so, like valuable supplies, right? Whether it's weapons, medicine, stuff like that. And that's uh, one of the things that keeps them in power mm-hmm. is the fact that they're able to hold those things over people and kind of get them to do what they want because of the the resources that that they're able to disperse among those yeah. people. You yeah. I mean, I just yeah. thought that it's, in, I wonder how it went down exactly, but Henry doesn't give all the details and, um, it works regardless, but I was just like, it just, yeah. just interesting. I just really wonder how that went down. Um, so once he like confesses all of this, he, he, he's dealing with a lot of guilt. He asks Joel, do you still think they should take it easy on me or am I the bad guy? Let me answer for you. I am the bad guy. So it seems like he, he's dealing with a lot of guilt that Michael probably meant a lot to him, that it wasn't easy for him. But I mean, he, he was, he had to make a decision. I mean, it's always going to be his brother. Right. And it adds to like the overall complexity and of this whole thing based off like what Kathleen did. And then what Henry did, it, it kind of really, um, it's like an impossible situation. Like me personally, I would definitely do what Henry did, I think. And then I would also do what Kathleen did. Like, I mean, I, the, like, um, Martin was saying on Double Toasted that the Henry gets the edge because Kathleen is after a, a chill a child, right? And and the, was there another reason why he felt like Kathleen was a was 
worse or her decision was worse than Henry's. I think it was. Well, he was saying that Kathleen's argument is hypocritical because she she was saying, well, don't you think? Um, like, did you ever stop to think that he was meant oh, to yeah. die? Like, like basically arguing that, like, you escaped fate, and and it wasn't Michael's fate to die, and it but it was Sam's fate to die, which is like hypocritical because, um, in in Michael's mind, right? Because we later see that, uh, he basically tells her to forgive him. Or to forgive Henry. And she kind of just ignores that. But yeah, I mean, basically, in so many words, like two wrongs don't yeah. make a right, I think. And Martin and, was saying that she was hypocritical because she, her whole basis is that the needs of many outweigh the needs of one. But she mm-hmm. puts all of her, her needs first. Or well, she puts all the people who have been entrusted to her in danger by pursuing Henry, right? So that was a yeah. good point. It's like, yeah, she, she's constantly saying, like, how how is this? Why does the world revolve around Sam? But she, her actions are all motivated by the world revolving around Michael. So she, yeah, so that's yeah. hypocritical of her. Um, yeah, for sure. Henry goes on to say that you know he could tell Joel was a father. He's always like, you may not be her her dad, but you were somebody's. I can tell. And Joel shuts shuts it down immediately. And that's the end of that scene. We cut to the next morning, and you see the hunters are like really out out there, like they're like this the extras were really leaning into like the acting like there's this one guy who's like coming up like a couple guys who are like coming up to the buildings and like they're really like it looked like they were like about to go in on a raid and there's like the building's probably empty you know like henry and sam on obviously aren't there because henry's watching them and uh, i just thought it was funny like how 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 deep they were rolling all for henry and joel now the the um once they learned that it was um Joel who killed Brian. Yeah. Then we see this Kathleen and Perry scene, and this was like the low, like the lowest point <laughs> in the episode for me. Um, but like, what was she doing? She's just kind of like sitting in this childhood bedroom, and it's just kind of weird that she's just there when there's so much that seems to be needed to be done. And even Perry's like, uh, you know, what are you doing up here? <laughs> um, we learn that this is her childhood bedroom that she shared with Michael and she kind of goes up there, I guess to kind of recharge her vengeance or remind her why she needs to do what she's doing. I don't know what exactly, or she's just longing for the past, but it made me think like, I wonder how old she was at the outbreak. It's been 20 years. She seems like she's pretty young. Maybe she was like a teenager, you know, and may, I wonder how old Michael was, but it just, she was probably like late teens, early twenties, yeah, maybe even younger. I would say, cause she, 30s maybe early 30s so that would put her at 12 13 years old i don't know early 30s melanie linsky no but she's like late the way she's talking about the bedroom and stuff and she talks about like tornadoes and storms and and that it was a big wooden box that no one could get inside of like uh, this was kind of cringy to me but maybe not for everyone i don't know like the fact that she was describing the bedroom and um the story just seemed kind of flat and like I like when they get very specific about why someone is heroic and the reason why Michael was heroic was because he described this room as a big wooden box and no one can get inside of but sometimes there's like a deeper story like one time I came home after a bully you know did something to me and my brother was there and he made me 
a sandwich and like it's just a little more specificity there it just felt very general and vague like that whole description of this specific experience of mike or the specific memory of michael you know what i'm saying it just felt kind of general like he basically made a promise that no one would ever get in and i was like okay um she says he was beautiful <laughs> that was kind of clunky um <laughs> And she's like, I'm not. I never was. Uh, so the clunky, this episode isn't free of clunky dialogue. It's still here, especially with Kathleen. But, um, And then, again, she says, I know he wanted me to forgive. He told me. And she, she kind of slips back into, like, this, like, she, she's evil. And I'll talk more about this later. But, like, this is who she always was. Like, maybe the outbreak really, I mean, obviously it pulled a lot of these elements out of her. But... I feel like one way or another, they would have found their way out. You know, it seems like, like this is just who she always was. You know, like it's not a matter of circumstances that led her to being this cutthroat and and evil. Like it just, um, this is who who she always was. Is basically how I feel. And um, she kind of like she has like this fake guilt trip that she's going through, and Perry kind of lets her know that she did what michael couldn't do and what or what michael wasn't willing to do and she's the one that really changed things and and that we're with you you know he basically tells her and, and uh, i just want to shout out jeffrey pierce i did it earlier again but uh i think he's he does a lot with the little that he's given and um yeah i i, I like that actor hopefully, hopefully we see more of him um yeah next scene we cut or so so how did you feel about this this whole little scene did it do anything for you or was it like i said it was probably my least favorite part easily of the episode i mean you make a lot of good points like it, there was clunky dialogue it is a little heavy handed i mean i don't even think it was all that necessary we already kind of yeah knew. that's right that's what i'm saying See, you know but i did like the the line that um perry had about that that michael never got anything done yeah. because i mean it it, it basically it basically blatantly calls out the the inefficiency and the basically uselessness of kindness mm-hmm. in this world as it relates to leadership and as it relates to change and survival mm-hmm. you know like kindness in this world is is a weakness it's a it, it gets you liability killed. It's, um, it's a liability for sure and he's basically reminding her that your ruthlessness is what gotten us this far and even though he doesn't speak up he's in a way i feel like he's trying to tell her like um like your ruthlessness can do a lot more and uh, instead of you know she's kind of limiting herself in relation to it because she's she's pulling all of her ruthlessness from what henry did and as opposed to the where she could be she could see the value if if she if she was more you know rational she could see the value of like yeah sure henry you know got him killed but ultimately it was by fedra's hands and i just fucking wiped them out so like that loss is uh, in, as heavy as it was and it i can bring i can bring some good from this i can like the the change like good change can come from this and i feel like Perry's dilemma is more so like like this is the victory yeah you yeah. know and I feel like that's probably why he's conflicted about the Henry thing is because it's like in his mind he probably he gets it you know he probably is still pissed off about it but 
he gets it. It's like he sees the bigger picture. Ultimately, it was Fedra. It was Fedra who killed Michael, and they just wiped them out. So like, this could be a huge jumping off point for them to to be to actually be for the people, you know. And and it goes to show you like certain leaders. They they love to you know to put those words out like for we even saw it on on some of the the hunters trucks like for the people and they're talking about fair trials this and that but behind closed doors their own selfish needs reign supreme you know that's all they care about and that's a a lot of what we see with certain you know political leaders you know they say the right things but at the end of the day people just look out for most people just look out for themselves yeah you made a good point about perry like saying like the, the He's probably a part of him is relieved maybe even that Michael got taken out because yeah Michael would like you said was always sort of a liability kind of held them back so maybe this he wants Kathleen to lean into this moment and take advantage and and uh, but she's just blinded she's just blinded by her vengeance yeah. she can't see the bigger picture because she's too close to what happened and Perry isn't as close to Michael if it was Michael was his brother maybe he wouldn't be as um insightful or perspective or, or far seeing as he is here but yeah uh i i i thought perry i thought Je- jeremy pierce was great or jeffrey pierce excuse me was great and yeah i would have liked yeah. to see more like i said he does a lot with the little he's given and um, and a lot of this stuff we're talking about now where he stands we have to kind of really sit and think about it and which is fine but i wish i would have seen him be able to express some of this but he can't you can't you could tell he's holding a lot back with Kathleen. He doesn't want to piss her off or say the wrong thing, but you still get yeah. the picture. And what you said, I think is spot on. I bet you Jeffrey Pierce did a lot of this work in preparing for this. And he would probably agree with a lot of what you said. And yeah, like not to excuse the clunkiness, but I mean, to argue, I guess for sake of argument, if we're going to talk about the necessity of this, of the scene in, in their childhood bedroom, it's obviously trying to draw parallels with the the brother the brotherly relationship between Sam mm-hmm. and Henry as mm-hmm. well, you know. It's it's trying to show how even though what Henry did was was pretty vile at the end of the day he was motivated by love and and protection and and it wasn't he was he didn't carry out like it'd be more gotcha, you know, if he literally did it, like if he literally killed Michael. Yeah. You know, or if he was a federal agent doing shit like that, I don't know. But for Kathleen, she's she's motivated by hatred, yeah. and a hatred can only take you yeah. so far. And and when I mentioned the the second game earlier, that's what I was um mentioning or trying to draw parallels to hmm. because because Druckmann, uh when when he was first when they were first um, coming out uh, talking about the second game before it was released. He mentioned how a lot of aspects of the first game were, was about love, and the second game is is a lot about hate. Mm. So interesting. I like that they're they're already kind of teasing those thematic yeah, yeah. elements. Next scene we see is Joel and Allie, Henry and Sam. They they popped out. Uh, they pop out of the tunnel in the West Side North, where Henry, you know, where, where was the destination? It's this residential area, and Henry's really feeling himself. He's like, see. Plant, plant the plant. The, now he could say the plan is good. You know, the plan worked, and he's um basically really feeling himself and saying this was a great plan. Look, we made it out. All is good. And whenever a character says that, you know, it's right before shit hits the fan. So <laughs> yeah, and, and Lamar, jo- I I barely learned this week 
that Lamar Johnson is Canadian and rewatching a couple of those scenes on uh, a couple of the breakdowns I've been watching, you can kind of see his accent break <laughs> break out at some oh, really? parts. And he and when he says the plan is good right here, you can tell he's like the plan. Is good. <laughs> like, he says it like like again like this little Canadian accent. The it's plan funny. is good. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, nah. yeah. Henry's really feeling, and feeling himself about this. So yeah, and and Joel is still um, hesitant to give him his flowers. He's not ready to. We're not out of the woods yet. And Allie is already thinking about the next stage. She invites Henry to Wyoming. It's gonna be great. And Joel's like, God damn, like, uh, you know, maybe you want. He basically wants wanted her to consult with him first. That happens sometimes to me when you and I are making plans or or our family's making plans and someone extends an invite and it's like, wait a second. That's, you gotta like, hmm? it doesn't happen very often with this, yeah, but yeah. But sometimes like back, <laughs> we don't back in the day, I would say, all right, bro, let's go to the movies. And you say, okay, I'm going to bring blank name here. And I'd be like, oh, bead man. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they, so, uh, yeah, Joel's like not not with it, and Allie says, you know, he'll he does this, he'll change his he'll he'll change his mind. Trust me, she says. I'm like, damn, she's got this full figured out. If I was Joel, I'd be like, what? She's basically saying like this. Was <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like she picked up on Tess's methods. Tess was really able yeah. to handle Joel and make her make him do what she wanted. She's like, he'll say no. I'll beg a million times, and he'll finally say yes. And the scene is interrupted. Uh, really, the tension. You know, the scene is interrupted by this sniper fire i thought it really broke up that, that, that kind of was like a cool jump scare um shit aim yeah, sniper shit fire aim. um this changed from the game just slightly in the game it's a night it's daytime in here they decided to do it at night it uh i thought it, i thought it was a nice touch makes sense that the sniper is shit you know um Joel tells Allie, you know, they they get they find cover behind a car. Joel tells Allie to stay behind and that he's gonna sneak in, gives him his plan. Yeah, I'm gonna sneak in and then, you know, get this guy and um Allie's like scared to she you could tell she's like getting attached to Joel. She's afraid for him to leave her and he tells her he basically promises her that she'll be okay and that she's not gonna get hit. He's like, She's not gonna hit you, he's not gonna hit you. Kinda reminds me um takes you back to the promises he would make to Sarah and stuff. Uh, this was a cool scene, like the way he sneaks into the the house and comes up and sneaks up on the old man sniper, Anthony. We learn his name is, and he basically tells him, "Please, please don't do it. Please don't." The motherfucker won't listen. The motherfucker's ready to go. Um, and Joel takes him out. Mason, Mason, and Druckmann were talking about the <laughs> <laughs> what? What's funny? I just thought he looks like the the fucking old man in a quiet place. You remember when, when John Krasinski's walking from like fishing with his son and he comes across the old man who's like his wife just got oh, wrecked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he just fucking screams. <laughs> he look, kind of looked like oh, that yeah. guy. <laughs> Is he wearing like a wife beater in this scene? I feel like he was just wearing a wife. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, the old man? He was wearing like a jacket. Oh, okay. He didn't even say anything. He was just like, yeah, nah, kill me. I'm yeah, he's sick of it. He's probably like 80 years old. And Kathleen, yeah. why would Kathleen send that old ass man up? <laughs> you know, it's like not very smart. It's probably one of their sections that doesn't get a lot of uh, um, activity movement. traffic. Yeah, yeah, activity. Yeah. yeah, just send just send Anthony up there. Yeah, he'll take care of it. Like, just send our worst shooter up there. No one goes <laughs> over there. That fool was probably excited to see some 
some action. I'm surprised he wasn't asleep. It's nighttime. He's an old man. It's not heavily patrolled. That motherfucker was, took his job serious. He was up there. Keep, he had his eyes peeled, ready for anything. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised he could actually even yeah, see them. Like, nah, this, this guy's better than Kathleen may have given him credit for. They probably could have used him um, in the city, but takes him out. And Mason and Druckmann spoke briefly about like regular people making up like this citizens brigade. Um, that most of these people are just regular people, and this guy probably up until he was 60, everything was all good. Um, and then last 20 years have been turned to shit and this is how a lot of the hunters are probably like we mentioned this last week with brian brian was probably just a normal kid before this shit went or you know he was pretty young so he was probably just a kid you know never really got to be a kid maybe but a lot of these people were just normal people and this seems like didn't seem like he had much like military may maybe but um yeah he just seemed like a regular old ass man and joel takes him out then we learn that kathleen's on the radio and that she's on her way thought this was effective um, in kind of um, ratcheting up the suspense and, and threat of the of the scene. And um, Joel tries to warn them, but they can't really hear him. You see the plow truck coming through. <laughs> um, you can, like, hear him faintly. It sounds funny. He's like, yeah, they're like and then when they, they cut to him, he's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, Dave Chen made, like, a reference to um, the Inception train, reminding him of the Inception train plowing through oh, yeah, the, tr- yeah. the cars. But that was cool. The part's so yeah. epic. The yeah. rain. Yeah. Um, And then you see like Allie just firing her gun at like random. And I saw someone on Twitter like post the, the, the Tanya from White Lotus clip where she's just firing at the frame like all crazy. It's like Allie firing at, at the, at the plow truck. <laughs> like, I was, I was watching the uh, Christian Hartloff review for it. And he had a, a funny ass comparison. He's like, he said it reminded him of that scene in Harlem Nights. They were in Arsenio. They're all shooting at him. And the guy's a little ass pistol. He's like, stop shooting. <laughs> You're not fucking doing anything. Yeah, it's like, what is she doing? And, and she's like, what are you doing? Like, it's just a waste of yeah. bullets. <laughs> um, but Joel's, Joel's much more formidable with the, with the, with his gun. And pretty excellent sniper. Like he gets the driver, makes him crash. That that was, that that was pretty excellent. Um, a little set action set piece and explodes like big ass explosion into the house and the pretty cool sh- like cinema like cinematography and, and shots of Joel's vantage point like you understand where everyone is at you could see Henry and Sam and Allie like moving around from his vantage point I just like where the camera was placed there the geography of that little neighborhood is well communicated and you understand where everyone is it felt like a real cul-de-sac and Sometimes when it's hard to like establish location and where everyone is, especially with like these huge set pieces, but it all made sense like geographically where everyone was. So shout out to like the direction there. Um, Lamar Johnson was saying in that interview too that it was like the one of the the bigger sets. I mean, he was only on the the show for two episodes, but he said the set was pretty big. It was like yeah, it was actual, a sound looked like an actual neighborhood. Yeah. It w- no, yeah. yeah, but it was a sound stage. Yeah, they yeah. built the whole yeah, neighborhood yeah. on was, a sound stage. It was stage. huge, yeah. Um, but yeah, it looked it looked really great. Um, Kathleen pulls up and she taunts Henry and she has him dead to rights. And she's like, she's so confident and cocky and arrogant in this scene. She's like, save us some time and show yourself. And Henry basically says, you know, let the kids go. Like Henry's. If you stop to think about it, like Henry was ready to die here, like in, in exchange for Sam and Allie's life, and it's pretty brave and courageous. It happens really fast, but 
once you stop and think about what he would really did by giving himself up, it's crazy. I mean, you know, he expected to either be tortured or killed, and that just shows you again how much Sam means to him and how much he was willing to risk it all. Um, and then she, Kathleen says some pretty despicable, unforgivable things that maybe he was supposed to die. Kids die all the time. Like, was he worth everything? This is what happens when you fuck with fate. I thought that was kind of a cheesy line, but but okay. Um, I get it. I don't know if someone like that in that position would actually say that, but maybe. Um, but she's really feeling herself, so you never know. Uh, Henry tells... Kids die all the time. She had that, that Alex Jones energy. Oh, my right gosh. <laughs> I didn't have Alex Jones on my bingo card for this pod, bro. <laughs> I just popped in my head. I was like, it sounded like something something ridiculous that you'd say. Yeah. And then she has another clunk, clunker. It ends the way it ends. And she... I don't remember that. It ends the way it ends, and she's about to blow him off, or, you know, she's about to um, execute him. She's really savoring the moment, much to her detriment. And the and then you see the truck begin to fall into that sinkhole, and it's Henry's basically saved by that sinkhole. And um, it, the camera really looms in on that hole, and the infected pop out. This moment scared the hell out of me, man. Like, I expected one blow, to, like, for some reason, I didn't expect all of them to come out, because I, I saw this, the s- scene from the trailer of, like, the bloater coming out of the ground, so I was expecting mm-hmm. that to happen, but the way they all rushed out, like, World War Z was crazy, and yeah, you, I even sick. heard you say, like, oh, shit, and, like, yeah, that was, yeah. but that, it's just cool that, like, game, game, like, people who played the game and people who are just watching the show were both equally, like, surprised by this whole sequence, mm-hmm. right? Because it doesn't yep. happen this way in the game, and it looked incredible, like the the visual effects. It's a combination of practical and visual effects. They talk about it in the after episode that they had a lot of these people were real actors and um, real makeup and um, practical like masks and stuff that they were wearing. And it reminded me a lot of Hard Home. I, I made I mentioned that that it reminded me of Hard Home, like just the sheer quantity of these of the infected running out and like the just the overall mayhem of this whole scene really reminded me of of hard home from game of thrones when yeah and then the kind of the shock and awe factor of that too because up until that point in game of thrones i mean there was a huge there's a lot bigger of a build-up in game of thrones this is like the third fourth yeah. season and we never saw a horde like to that degree against human subjects in hard home so like yeah it had a similar feeling it was kind of like a like i said earlier kind of like a reality check of like these are the real dangers right yeah just 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 yeah, because you we like I said we hadn't seen him in a while, and um, this is the first time we see them like this. I mean, this is kind of how the like the stage that a lot of the the infected were when they came up on the state house with Tess. Like they're running mm-hmm. and they're not necessarily clickers, but they yeah. So but um, yeah, I thought there's a shitload of clickers. Yeah, in this yeah, one. there were a lot, yeah. and they're running. So it was like I was like confused because the clicker that we saw at the museum was like walking he couldn't really run or it could run but it, it wasn't moving like these people were but so there's it seems like there's different stages multiple stages but um i want to just shout out real quick like the f- the fungus design on their heads like <laughs> my my insides hurt like watch like not hurt but you just get like that roller coaster feeling watching watching some of these f- like fungus designs they look like flowers almost like they're almost beautiful like i know Druckmann has mentioned how the fungus is beautiful and stuff but 
Um, shout out to like the practical effects designers, whoever designed these. And each one has to be a little bit different, right? Like some of them, like where the fungus is placed, some of them are like on the top of their head and the side. And um, the one we see most clearly is probably the little girl that goes after Allie. But um, I just thought that the, the, the fungus design on the heads, like I, I was trying to really watch them and it looks it looks great. Um, so you see them coming out and you see Joel, he's covering and he's trying to protect Allie and Sam and Hen or basically Allie as they're running around. And I thought that was really cool, like the way he's able to cover her. Um, Tyler, shout out Tyler, our brother-in-law said like saving Private Ryan, uh, Barry Pepper. <laughs> yeah um where he's covering them from far away and then you see you hear perry you, they cut to perry so we're seeing both joel perry we're seeing everyone's kind of perspective in this whole thing and everyone is equally fucked um and perry shouts out a command to run them down and that's when you see the truck start to like plow through the some of these infected and it's just straight up chaos and mayhem and then you you hear like a growl like i was like like you hear like a bloater growl and I thought the way they put that slow mo on Perry was like a really nice touch. Um, yeah, it felt like a yeah, horror movie like, or something. That's the, like the frame rate was was slower. You could tell, and I just yeah. thought, oh, that's such a great touch. Um, and it's, it only lasts for a couple seconds, but it really nails the mood, basically. And uh, Perry kind of pushes Kathleen away, tells her to get away, and uh, tries to take on the bloater by himself. Those bullets are doing nothing, though. It seems like this is. It seems like Perry did not know what he was doing. Like maybe this is the first time. I'm guessing this is the first time he encountered an infected like this. Otherwise, he would have known that that gunfire would not work, and maybe we just would have ran. But basically, having no causing no damage to the guy at all. Yeah, people. I saw a joke on Twitter. They were like, "No, Perry, you're supposed to use your Molotov cocktails." On yeah, the Troy Baker made that. That's one of the things you yeah, do. Yeah, Troy in the Baker game said something like that on the podcast. Yeah, um, <laughs> he rips his head off like straight up rips his head off pretty gnarly like i mentioned earlier like this episode had a little bit of something for everyone for for the gore heads you got uh, some really gruesome violence here um and then uh like i mentioned earlier we see that like the little girl gym like she in real life she was like a contortionist gymnast and that's a real actress portraying that that blues clues girl she had like a blues clues shirt on yeah did she that's um, funny and she's the one going after Allie. And uh, I like when you catch those like early two thousands, late nineties yeah. references. Like in that last episode, when they crashed into the store, they had the OG like Doritos dispenser. Did uh-uh. you catch that? Like the OG Doritos logo, mm-hmm. like the white, red, and uh, blue oh one. yeah, I missed. I didn't yeah. see it. Yeah, that's um, funny. It's tight. And uh, Allie's gotten like attached to Henry and Sam. She spots them. She wants to save them, and she kind of risks it all to save them. And Joel is covering her while she's going to save them. I thought it was kind of like a cool teamwork moment, you know, like she's trying to get to Henry and Joel or Henry and Sam to save them. And Joel's covering her. So like everyone kind of trying to get to Henry and Sam and she gets to them. She kills a She like kind of shivs a clicker. Right. Like that's a, that's something from the game. You have to actually stab them in like the head in order to take them out. And the sound design, like I'm pretty fucking sure it's like the same exact one it's oh, yeah? the exact same that's what's that yeah and, and then bella ramsey's performance right here too incredible uh, uh, yeah but like one of the things i noticed um because in the second game i mean granted you know you have the 
the we had the benefit of uh, it being a PS4 game. It took the PS4 to its limits, but um, I I vividly remember the way because you play it as um, Ali in that a lot most a lot of portions of that game, and uh, her running style in that she's older in that game, so like she doesn't run like a little kid anymore, and like her her running style feels like like very like you could feel the speed and weight of it. Mm-hmm. And I noticed the way she was running here, like she looked just like, she, I know it sounds corny, but like, I don't know. Like when you play a game for multiple hours, I feel like you can kind of notice those things. And I know Bella Ramsey has mentioned a lot, like she does know the story of the second game. So I wouldn't be surprised if she was influenced there uh, about how she, how she could run in that scene. Cause the way she was running looked exactly. Yeah, you're right. Now, now that I think about it, yeah. it felt like, like the backpack was heavy because she's wearing a backpack, right? And it felt like there's something yeah. like weighing her down where she's kind of like clunky, like trotting or yeah, like stomping almost, right? She's like the yeah. stomp to her run, and it feel, it feels very out of control, and her facial expressions. But yeah, a lot of the body or a lot of like her her body language kind of um made it feel like she actually has something in that backpack. Like you know, like sometimes you don't you, you like with the coffee like a fake coffee cup in a scene, you could tell there's nothing yeah. in it, but it sounds like there's it felt like there was something in her backpack. Style. Yeah, and her running style it, it it just looked and felt like more self assured and more brave, right? Because like especially after in in this episode because we we're our guards kind of put down, you know, we see her being a kid in most of this episode and not having to resort to violence and up until like the very end of this episode and uh in that moment kind of flipped the switch for her like no i gotta fucking i gotta be on it right here um so i like i like that choice if it was intentional it looked intentional to me probably she's yeah um good call out there she um so then she she saves henry and sam and they they take off towards the house that joel is in and kathleen kind of pulls up on them and she delays again. Um, she kind of wants to really savor this moment on getting Henry, but it costs her everything. She, I mean, she doesn't delay as long as she did in the previous scene, but she, just long enough for her to be attacked by the blues clues little girl. Um, yeah, and like the way she, the the girl leaps at her is very satisfying, even though like, yeah, well, like we said, Kathleen's character was sort of thin, but it was. I wouldn't call her compl- like thin, but it wasn't. She didn't seem like a fully fleshed out person, but enough for you to like establish some feeling toward her, and that feeling was kind of like disdain for most people, I think. And there's no shade towards yeah. Melanie Linsky. She did a she did a great job with what she was given, but I just felt like the character's motivations and the way she was kind of had to. She dealt with a lot of clunky dialogue, but anyways, like that's the end of her story. Um and I was kind of, it was satisfying to see her go out that way. And our sister, Jazzy, shout out Jazzy, called out right away that, oh, she just mentioned that kids die all the time and then she's killed by a kid. and, and instant, yeah, karma. instant karma. And a lot of people are making that, are drawing that, um, are drawing that, drawing that together, that the kid thing. Um, I mean, it's pretty yeah. obvious, but yeah. And then there's like one more final shot of all the mayhem and the chaos. And I thought that was a really great shot. And it kind of just, was like a really um, effective way to like end that sequence. You know, I don't know if you remember that final shot, but you just see everyone running and then they start heading towards one direction. It seems like they're going towards the city. 
but yeah, like, holy shit, that whole sequence was uh, riveting, terrifying, um, just so, super well done, like, probably the best thing I've seen on TV in a while. Um, next thing we see is that, is that they're, they're at a motel, they're kind of like a safe haven motel now, and this is pulled directly from the game, and they're finally safe, and they're kind of just, um, chilling out, Allie and Sam are reading the Savage Starlight comic, and they kind of, they seem like pretty okay after, considering after what they just saw, and even Joel seems kind of surprised by this, he asks Henry, like, do you think they'll be okay, and, and Sam's, and Henry's like, yeah, you know, I think, you know, they're kids and Joel's like, it's easier when you're a kid because you don't have anybody relying on you. And uh, I think he kind of misses having like that lack of responsibility, but he doesn't have it anymore. Right. Because now Allie's entrusted to him and it just seems like he felt better when nobody was um, entrusted to his care, basically. And he kind of seems like he's envious of, of where Allie and Sam are. But the fact that he's been that he's responsible for Allie and, and now Henry and Sam in a way it kind of weighs heavy on him and he's uh, not sure he doesn't seem to be sure on how he feels about it um and then Henry says you know we're, it seems like we're doing a pretty good job um considering everything and I, I like that little like bonding moment and they kind of poke fun at the endurance survive line um Henry says that, you know that's just redundant and Joel's like yeah it's not great <laughs> um <laughs> And uh, Druckmann was talking about on the podcast how like a lot of people have like endurance survive tattoos like he, like like he a lot of people have come up to him and said that they got it tattooed so um, I wonder how they feel about that moment when uh, they're the two main characters or the two characters in the show are kind of poking fun Shitting at on it. it. <laughs> but Druckmann said like he intentionally wrote it to be cringy you know like which is what writers do sometimes. I mean, it's yeah, a comic, a comic book, book so. especially like a fictional comic book, but yeah. um, the. F- but it does like of course like he didn't it didn't um it wasn't lost on him that this would tie in directly with the actual main theme of the sh- the actual game and show so yeah of course just fu- I just thought it was fun of uh but both of them poking fun at like endure and survive um this is so Joel finally extends the invite to Wyoming and says you know it'd be good to for, for you know you can come along if you want and Henry jumps on it especially seeing how um sam and Allie kept kind of connected and he says new day new start so um that's the end of that i, I like i mean i'm really sad to see henry go man were, were you like dreading because since you knew his end especially considering how well lamar johnson played this role were you like goddamn sucks that what's about to happen yeah but like i guess a very small part of me was like well they changed fucking bill's history i mean he went from alive to dead so he might be able to go dead to alive but i kind of knew i'm like these souls aren't gonna go back to wyoming yeah. with them and so i was like yeah, there's no sucks. way yeah i liked i like that they at least acknowledged it though because like to at least know like that had things not gone this south um that Henry and Sam could have been in in the Jackson settlement with Tommy and them, and seeing and kind of imagining how how those characters were in, would interact. And again, you know, I constantly talk about it, but going back to the or, or considering the story of the second game and and seeing Ellie grow and stuff like that, and thinking 
and it makes you more sad, but it also kind of brings you some comfort knowing that that could have been the direction it yeah. could have gone had things, you know, worked yeah. out for them. Next, we see Allie and Sam proper. They're reading. They're reading the uh, comic book, and Henry comes in, and basically tells them, "Go to bed." Very, very adult child classic kid behavior and sam pretends to go to bed i thought it was cute and and um they wake up what's up with kids man not wanting to go to bed it's like for me that's like our favorite part of the day now you know after 25 26 30 you're right like bedtime is the best time (laughs) yeah i mean i don't know kids think a lot they don't like to bathe they don't like to eat they don't like to go to bed these are like little little do they know these are going to be like all there is in 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they don't like to do it. Because um, <laughs> they know. they know. Like, I got the rest of my life to eat, do. sleep, and shit, and shower. I'll do yeah. it. I'll wait. Um, Sam asks, you know, with his... We, we didn't really mention the... the Not an etch-a-sketch. I don't know what you would call it, but like the magic dry erase thing that he uses to communicate um, that he has around his neck. I thought that was... We haven't mentioned it yet, but I thought that was um, a really nice touch. And it's like a Woody Woodpecker themed one. So no detail is like lost on this production team. Like they, they um, made sure that uh, just, just every little touch is really um, well thought out and the attention to detail. Time yeah. accurate. Um, and he writes, are you ever scared? And, and Allie shares that, yes, she is. And he's like, you don't seem scared. So it seems like Sam really admires Allie. And I just thought this whole exchange was cute. And he kind of opens up and he asks, you know, if you turn into a monster, is it still you inside? I thought this, um, sometimes when you're writing for a kid, it's challenging, I think. And I thought this, like, I thought, like, the way that this was written really felt like a kid, you know. So shout out to Mason here for this little, this, this, this line here. If you turn into a monster, is it still you inside? Um, then that's when he reveals to Allie that he's bit and, you know, this was a, this was a devastating moment for everyone watching the show, I'm sure. And, um, Allie tries to comfort him. I'm not sure we'll talk more. We'll talk about this right now before I, um, but I'm not sure how she feels about this whole thing. If like, she really believes that she can help him. If, um, she's kind of just trying to placate and comfort him. It's hard to know. I'm sure we'll learn more later, but she shows him her bite and that it's healing to try to comfort him um he's bitten the shin we should mention and as we saw in episode one it usually takes 12 to 24 hours for them to turn so maybe she thinks that the fact that it's on his shin that there is hope or if she knew if she knew the whole time that there was no hope and she kind of tells him blood is her blood is medicine and she tries to rub her blood on him very very sweet moment pretty I like to think that she really did um, think it would help. I don't know. What about you? Or doesn't, did you think about it much? I mean, it's not far-fetched to think that she would consider it, it yeah. to help. You know, like, it was inconceivable that anyone could survive a bite mark. And from what, all the hope everyone's instilling in her regarding her blood mm-hmm. I mean, it makes sense for her to consider yeah. it, but when I first saw it, I mean, I knew it wasn't going to work, but I thought it more, I thought of it more so in, from Sam's perspective, like he's being comforted, right? He's, he's kind of being in his dying moments. He's kind of, um, being able to live a fantasy, you know, he's obviously big on fantasy. He likes superheroes yeah. and comics and stuff. 
So he's allowed to like like this fictitious thing is almost allowed to become his reality in in his dying moments and in a way comforts yeah, she, him because in the game he never tells anyone so he just goes to bed fucking he just yeah. awake knowing he's he's going to turn into oh, a monster shit. whereas with this it's like I like that because it's like and then um he later tells her like stay up with me and she stays up with him you know and he's he's able to you know I'm sure he was still scared but he he was he was better off you know, because he was able to tell someone he had some hope instilled yeah, exactly. in him. That's what I was going to say. You know, she, so. she gave him like the gift of nice. hope in his final moment. Yeah. So regardless, it's just um, just very tragic what, what happens. And he wants her to keep it a secret and they hug. And then um, that's the end of that scene. And then so we cut to the next morning and Sam is sitting up and. Allie calls out to him, hey, but he, of course he can't hear her. And that, that also made me think, like, if he would eventually have, con- like, turned into a clicker, how does that even work for someone who's deaf, you know? The fact that they can't yeah. hear. Um, he attacks Allie, and they stumble into the next room where Joel and Sa- uh, Henry are sleeping. And Henry right away grabs his grabs the gun and shoots at Joel's feet. Holy shit, this whole scene was just so tense and suspenseful. And I was like... I wasn't, I mean, I couldn't breathe. My heart was like beating out of my chest. I just thought this whole thing was so, like the way it's built up throughout the whole episode of who, who these people mean to each other. And oh my God, it's just, uh, it was just like perfectly executed. I couldn't think of like everything up until this point, all the relationship and um, foundation between these two groups that's built and the hope that's projected forward when they promise to go to Wyoming together and, you see the friendship established between not only Allie and Sam, but uh, Henry and Joel. And all of a sudden, this thing, it's just tragic. Um, and he shoots at Joel's feet when that felt very true to life, something that, you, you know, we would do. You know, you probably wouldn't shoot him right away. It just felt like, yeah, that's exactly what someone would do in this moment. Um, but, yeah, and then he ends up shooting Sam and very loaded imagery of a, like a child getting shot in the head you know i felt like if this would have been released at the time of what happened in texas that they would have put like a trigger warning you know they were doing that for some things but for me that still is pretty recent and it just it's awful to see and um i guess it had to happen this way but it happens this way in the game you know the, the gunshot but it's just something very disturbing about like a kid getting shot especially like in the head um and then uh, you see Henry, you know, saying, what did I do? What did I do? And this has changed from the game. Druckmann and Mason talk about this because in the game, it's what did you do? He kind of places the blame onto Joel and Allie or, or just be just kind of. But in this, I think it's much more effective that Henry puts the blame on him. And, you know, what did I do? Um, were you surprised to see him say that? Or do you remember that he had said, what did you do in the game? Or what did you think of that slight change? Yeah, I do remember that, and uh, um, in that interview with Lamar Johnson, he he mentioned that Neil Druckmann mentioned when he says that he's actually thinking the opposite. So, what did I do? Was what he really meant? Ah, uh, what he was thinking when he said, "What did you yeah, do yeah. to Joel?" So, the I like how they just changed it to the more yeah. literal interpretation here. And then uh, he turns the gun on his head and. Uh, kills himself and uh, Ali's reaction is really 
great. Like uh, upon second viewing, you really see like they cut away, obviously, but uh, thank goodness they cut away. Um, but like her reaction was really great. Like Bella Ramsey is really getting down with like these nonverbal, her nonverbal. I, I mean, on top of everything, she's she's just she's just knocking it out of the park in like almost every element or every aspect. You know what I'm saying? And her yeah, reaction sure. to that was spec. It was especially affecting. Um, and that's the end of that scene. And like, there wasn't a dry eye in our living room. <laughs> Watch this scene, man. Oh my God. Um, we cut to the burial and, and, uh, Allie places, um, the Woody Woodpecker magic erase thing, um, on top of the grave. And she puts, I'm sorry. And it's just, um, very sad. And, Joel's kind of lingering over the grave and it's kind of an interesting role reversal where usually it's Joel or you expect like the adult to tell the child to like suck it up you know keep we got to keep moving like you can't let this bring you down but it seems like it's Allie and kind of taking on this role where she's telling Joel like hey come on we got to keep moving let's go she's the one that's become like hardened by this and I'm sure, you know, we all know Joel has seen some shit, but even this has, like, affected him deeply. So, um, the fact that Allie is able to kind of um, compartmentalize this and, and be able to, like, keep going is kind of disturbing and scary, and I'm sure there'll be rep- repercussions for it later, but I can't imagine her being the same after this, like, her being jokey and jovial and, and all that. I mean, I mean I'm sure it, w- it will happen, but I just... I feel like this is a before and after moment for Allie, you know, like this trauma will be one of the moments and that she'll probably always remember as like a, you know, there's before and after moments in your life when you're like before this thing happened and after this thing happened before the pandemic, after the pandemic, before someone passed away or after, um, I'm sure the, the thing with Riley is one of those moments and this is another one, but, um, what do you think of like that role reversal? Does that happen in the game sometimes? Like Allie, kind of taking on more of like a leadership or like not leadership, but she's more hardened and more, um, I don't know. Yeah, for sure. And, the, and, and that was definitely intentional. Cause this is right about the point in the game where, where shit gets real and she has to step yeah. up to the plate. So to speak. And so, uh, yeah. it just sucks, man. Everyone she like, you know, gets attached to or be friends. Like, gets killed or dies like Riley we don't see that happen but we know about this person named Riley it happened with Tess she kind of forged this little bond with Tess she obviously forged a pretty special bond with Sam and it just seems like she's probably I feel like this will also probably place some distance with her and Joel maybe I don't know but she I would only imagine her not wanting to get too close to Joel and fear that she's just gonna lose him like she's lost everyone else but uh yeah um just really tough and that's the end of the episode the the, the ending song is it's called fuel to fire by agnes oboe um i, I actually like this song i listened to i used to listen to the song um i haven't returned to it in a while but i used to like go running to the song it's, her album's really really good um and that's the episode like we said a little bit of uh, tragedy a little bit of humor a little bit of action horror gore a little bit of something for everyone really um We'll just run down a couple of our favorites, favorite moments. For me, I like the do I look scared moment from Henry to Sam. I thought that really helped solidify their relationship. And then uh, a couple other moments. I know we aren't supposed to pick one, but it was hard to do that from this episode. 
I like when uh, Ali says, fuck yeah, dude, and gives Sam the high five. That was funny. Um, and then, of course, the effect in emerging from that sinkhole. Um, what about you? Do you have a favorite favorite single moment? I mean, I can't say I'm verbatim, but I liked when Joel apologizes to Henry in the classroom. Or it's just like um, child classroom yeah, area. Yeah. When he apologizes to him about calling him a rat and... He says something along the lines of, like, uh, I understand what you did if you yeah, did it for yeah. him. I liked that part. And I liked um, Pedro's acting in that scene, too, because it, um, like, like seeing, seeing him seeing, sitting there, like, slouched with his arms crossed, like, looking like a dad <laughs> and shit. And, and he's, like, he talks in a much calmer voice, and he's apologizing and shit. I liked seeing that. Yeah, we see another. Uh, yeah. We had a lot of complaints last week or there's a lot of complaints last week about um him being too soft. But I mean uh especially with the preview for next week his history like it should not be um like you can't forget about all the the alludes or like the mentions of his past. You know like just because we're not seeing him be a piece of shit doesn't mean he hasn't been one yeah. before, you know? And that happens a lot in the game, too. I mean, granted, you know, in the game, you are taking out people and you're killing people. But, I mean, these are these, it's self-defense, right? And in the and same thing in the game, it's always just alluded to uh, regarding um, his past of, of killing innocents and, and being ruthless and stuff like that. And, yeah, like, I don't know. I think it's important to remember the con the context of those things. Like you don't need to unnecessarily always show yeah. that stuff, you know? Yeah. Shout out his act. Like yeah, his, to Pedro Pascal, you get to see another side of him and that he keeps showing, like he keeps un unveiling these different shades of his ability as an actor. And this was a, like the reluctant, like vulnerability. Like you could tell he wants to open up and he wants to express himself and apologize, but he doesn't feel yeah. comfortable doing it. Um, we saw a little bit of that last episode when he's opening up to Allie, but then we see it in a different, and it's a slightly different here um, with with Henry and yeah, and ultimately like the fear, like his fear of of failure and and, and his fear of of loss resurfacing. You know, he's kept it dormant for twenty years, and he probably he figured, and he did. You know, he had it contained. You know, uh, whether it was healthy for him or not the way in which he contained it ultimately kept him has kept him alive for this long, you know, and, and to be this vulnerable again and to be, I guess this fearful again, it's, he really wears it on his face. It's not in his lines. So I guess my argument to that, to him be, it's not like, like, yeah, sure. We're, we're technically seeing him being soft, but we're seeing it happen in real time. You know, like that's not who he is. It's, it's something he's current. It's a it's a new thing he's going through. He hasn't felt this way in twenty yeah. years, so I think it's important to remember the context of that because, and, and then ultimately, you know, you just can't have see, have a dude just be a piece of shit the whole time. Like you're not gonna get behind that. But yeah, I feel like that they're they're kind of toting a good balance, you know, because we do, we do know he's done some um, despicable things and. And now he's at a point where he's he's ultimately um, given the chance to repent in in some way or fashion. You know, given 
Tess's orders from episode two. So, yeah, and then I also liked it, the line of um, from Sam at the end when he says, um, "When you turn to a monster, is it still you inside?" Yeah, I like yeah, that, that was, a lot. Um, like I said, coming from like writing for a kid is not always easy, and that felt like a something a kid would say. Yeah, and and I guess I, I just made this connection. I'm kind of reaching, but um, that goes to a lot of that line kind of correlates to everyone in this show, not even just the infected, you know, um, like we see Kathleen in this episode talk about how she knows that she's essentially like the monstrosity mm. she's done, but she still argues like, um, while well, I'm doing it for my brother and I'm, I'm still this person. And the, the fact that she returns to her, her child, her childhood room, you know, so like she's trying to feel like who she was again, even though she has been overcome by the like the the, the monster of that is hatred, like in yeah, so like yeah, like the monsters, it, the idea of the monster in that line, I to me at least my interpretation not it limited to just so, the infected, right? Yeah, exactly. Like it's everyone's a piece of shit. Oh, that's a good point, bro. I didn't know? really think of it that way, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, the MVP probably, uh, I would say this is a, another tie. I know we've given a handed out a tie before, but for me, I, I can't, if I can't pick between Lamar Johnson and Kevon Woodard. They were just, they both knocked it out of the park. And then Bal Ramsey got down too, and everyone. Yeah. Um, Melanie Linsky, like no shade towards her. I thought she did a good job with what she was given. Uh, Jeffrey Pierce, everyone was great, but if I had to pick one, it'd probably be. Either uh, or like I said, a tie between Lamar and Kevon. Um, and um, my favorite line is probably the uh, "Look, we ate, we didn't kill each other. Let's call this a win-win and move on." Yeah, it's a good um, one too. Yeah, but yeah, great episode. Not a complete banger. The Kathleen thing is probably the show's first kind of misstep. Um, maybe kind of reaching beyond their means. I know that they want to kind of flesh out the world, but this may have been a character that didn't need that much like explanation or you know like i said like the whole explanation in her bedroom it could it, she would have been just as imposing and scary if we didn't have like the complete background of it you know sometimes a villain is more scary is is just as formidable or as threatening when you don't know everything about them you know um yeah true before we get out of here anything else bro uh we can talk about sure, next week a little bit i don't watch the next on uh, so uh <laughs> I don't know why you do that shit. <laughs> um, you mean I mentioned to you earlier, so I'm not really spoiling it, but or whatever, I don't care. So, yeah, like I'm excited to see that we're actually gonna see uh, Jack the Jackson settlement and and Tommy this early on, and then I do like that we are seeing the glimpses of some conversations about their past and how Tommy is remorseful, whereas um, Joel seems like. Like his argument is more so like we did what we had to do and I kept you alive and you you should mm. be grateful, and and that go that goes into more what I was saying about like how people are kind of um, annoyed how, with how soft he's he's being portrayed. But I mean the the breadcrumbs are like the clues are there. Like we've been told. I mean I I get that people get annoyed when you're told one thing when you're told how someone is. But I guess in this case, you know, we we do have a time gap. We do have Joel in this certain instance of his life with being around a child. So, I mean, it makes sense that he's susceptible to 
you know, for lack of better words, ease up and, and not be as violent anymore around this, you know, this weakness that he has, or this affinity that he has for, a, um, like a daughter figure. And, uh, but yeah, I do, I am looking forward to that, that aspect of them getting into the, like the, the things they, they did to innocent people in their past and how that's going to come back to, um, haunt them. Yeah. All right. Um, get some more brother content next week. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, before we get out of here, just going to shout out the plugs that we reference or the other, uh, you know, the other shows and podcasts we listen to emergency awesome with charlie schneider screen crush ryan airy the ringer prestige tv podcast check all these check all these out they're great decoding tv with dave chan and of course the hbo official podcast troy baker and neil Druckmann, craig mazin talk about the episode every week that's a good listen all right everyone thanks for chilling out with us we'll be back next week uh to talk about the next episode remember your blessings and mind your business peace gods Peace.